say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. First thing fans would be surprised to know about life on the road for a WWE superstar. Oh man, it's not pretty. No? It's hard. The hardest part is literally the drives afterwards. Like, well, I've four-hour drives, five-hour drives. Sometimes it's in the sketchiest towns when there's literally nothing and you're afraid you're going to run out of gas, which does happen. No. Yes. You've run out of gas? I haven't run out of gas, which it's gotten very, very, very close where I have to take my foot off the pedal. The last oh, time you're happened, driving yourself. Oh, yeah. We drive you ourselves. You don't have like a driver? No. What? Yeah. We drive ourselves. We get our own rental cars and we drive ourselves. You get a rental car. Yes. How do you expect us to get around to these towns and entertain our people? You're superstars. I feel like after the show, there's like, here's your driver. Get in. You've had a hard day of work. We'll drive you. Well, no. With a full tank of gas. We do it five days a week, so they can't do that for 30 superstars five days a week. I don't know. I think they make a lot of money off of you guys. I think so, too. But, you know, they take care of us for most Do you want me to negotiate your guys' new CBA? Do you have a CBA? No, but let's make one. Okay. You know what? No, you know, things like this, we can, we, they work around it. Shut your mouth. You're not God or my father or my boss. It's business time, baby. The Solo Monster sounds off. It's such good shit. Mama Monster. Conquered the street. We like fighting a woman. Oh my God, we're only an hour in. We have two more hours of this. Come over here and fight me. Delete. You haven't been beat up properly. Woo! One man yeah, I was reading about the interview that John Moxley gave to the Store Horseman podcast, which is based out of the Comedy Store in Los Angeles, and they asked him if he would ever consider going back to WWE, and this was the answer he gave. He said, you have to say never say never, right? That's the answer everybody gives, never say never, but it's like, I cannot imagine the scenario right now, but also 15 years from now, 10 years from now. The whole thing could be different. Who knows? The WWE that I left, I could never go back to. I would rather work at a grocery store. So if this AEW thing doesn't work out, and you're ever shopping for some milk, a loaf of bread, you see a guy who looks a lot like Dean Ambrose bagging groceries, although there's probably a lot of guys, in all fairness, who look like Dean Ambrose who probably bag groceries, but if you ever see somebody that looks just like him, In your local uh, Key Food or Trader Joe's, it could very well be him. That's how badly he wanted out of that company. He would rather bag groceries and stock shelves than work for WWE as it currently is under Vince McMahon. This is episode 608 of the Solomonster Sounds of here for Sunday, July 14, 2019. I am the Solomonster. We are now live, I am proud to say, on Pandora. That's been a long time in the making. This should should have happened. It was supposed to happen a number of months ago. But uh, you can now stream this podcast live on Pandora. In the Pandora app, you'll see the uh, podcast header up top. you got to click that. Then you can search podcasts and search for Solomonster Sounds Off. The last 100 episodes, the most recent 100, are all archived there for your 
listening pleasure. Proud to be part now of both the Pandora and Spotify families. So that is a big deal. New Jack. Yes, that New Jack has a memoir coming out this fall, November 28th, to be exact. I have no idea if there is going to be an audible version of this. I've got my hands clasped together. I'm so hoping there is. Uh, But hat tip to Rick in our Facebook group for mentioning this. If it does hit Audible, you guys know what to do and how you can get the book for free just by using our link to sign up for your 30-day trial at audibletrial.com slash solomonster. Of course, you don't have to wait until November. You can cash in right now, get yourself a free book. I hope they do release the audiobook version, and I do hope that it's New Jack as the one to actually do the narration for his own book. In the meantime, though, you can use our link to sign up, get one free audiobook of your choice, all month long in the month of July. The Death of WCW is a fine choice. That'll cost you twenty four ninety five. Oh wait, no it won't. Not if you sign up with our link first. And <laughs> you can get the book for free. Uh, thank you all, said everybody who has uh, donated this week, be it a PayPal VIP. Want to give a shout out to all those fine folks. $10 or more, as you know, will get you a nickname and a shout out here on the show. The Portland pop star, Paul Hamilton, thank you. John Luce Cannon Lopez, Deadpool James Herrera, the Florida Freebird Brian Becerra, Out of Control Cody Thomas, Beast Mode Brock Joseph, Velvet Revolver Robert Murray, The Anarchist Andrew Heller, The Chicago Slayer Willie Eichert, Brian the Cleaver Carpenter, Stephen Handyman Hallistick, The Five Tool Player Adam Bartolo, Critical Condition Kevin Smith, The Diamond Dallas Dance Machine Harrison Soap. And Recon Russell Bulware, who turns 21 this week. That's a good number. Female Fury, Kate Jury, who has been a loyal listener of this podcast since she was 14 years old. That was 10 years ago. Going back to the SE Scoops days. I'm very lucky to have her support. And last thing you'll see, Liam Cadge. As in the last thing that you'll see before you get knocked out. Uh, His friend Luke tells me that it was his birthday this week, and he's had a rough go of it recently, so I am here to wish Liam a happy belated birthday and to tell him to try to brush that shit off, whatever it may be, as best as he can, and try to enjoy it. You've always got a friend here in the podcast, and don't ever forget that. Thank you to everybody. Also, we got a bunch of uh, reviews, a lot of love on iTunes, Will Eberhardt. Jace Warner 82 and Kaonin explains it. I'm going to just read you part of his review. He says, It helps me save time by not having to watch WWE because he reviews Raw, SmackDown, and NXT every week. And frankly, I refuse to watch those shows. So that comes from uh, Kaonin explains it. I don't know why you would stop watching NXT, but hey, I, I got you covered here. I got you covered there too. So thank you for the kind words. I will be going live tonight, just a few minutes after Extreme Rules goes off the air for uh, my review on YouTube. So go to youtube.com slash thesolomonster. We'll take some phone calls at the end. Uh, Super chats are open, as always, for those who wish to donate live during the show. I always appreciate that. We had uh, somebody drop a C-note on the last show, which blew me away. But it also helped cover part of the cost of the phone line. And uh, the Skype charges, which it kind of, it auto-renews. The more phone calls I take in real time, I just kind of get an email saying, hey, we just billed you again, which is always fun to get. Uh, 
Uh, so you are helping to pay down some of the expenses that are associated with doing these uh, live streams. So I appreciate that. I have not had the time yet to watch any of the G1 from this weekend or the Evolve show on the network from last night. Uh, I just did not have time to get it in here before recording, and I'm trying to rush this out as quickly as I can because there's a pay-per-view tonight, and it would be kind of pointless for those of you who haven't heard the prediction portion yet on YouTube if you're going to listen to the predictions uh, for Extreme Rules an hour before the show, which unfortunately might happen with some of you. But anyway, uh, when I get to that stuff, I will try to get a quick review up for them on the YouTube channel as an extra. So again, just another reason to go ahead and subscribe there. Jeff Hardy was back in the news this week, and whenever you hear that, you kind of hold your breath because that could be, it could be a good thing, but more likely than not, it's probably a very bad thing. Unfortunately, this time, it was a bad thing. TMZ reported that Hardy was arrested and booked on Saturday for public intoxication and impairment in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. There's no word yet on exactly what led to the arrest, uh, but he was released very shortly thereafter. He paid, I think it was a $153 fine, uh, according to PW Insider. That's standard, in Myrtle Beach it is anyway, that's standard for first-time offenders. He also will not be required to appear in court unless he wants to contest the charge. Uh, So him paying the fine may well just be the end of this. So it doesn't sound like a big deal, but here's the thing. If you get arrested for public intoxication, you've got to be probably bombed out of your mind. And with his history of substance abuse problems, it's not a good sign. It's not a good sign. The last time he was arrested was just last year, March 10th, for DWI, after he crashed his car. He paid a $300 fine for that, and he had to do community service. WWE issued a statement to PW Insider, very similar to the one they put out the last time there was an incident, if you remember, with Jimmy Uso and Naomi being pulled over, and Jimmy was in the passenger seat, and he was all intoxicated, inebriated, whatever. WWE put a statement out saying, Jeff Hardy is responsible for his own personal actions. And that's it. That was the statement. Jeff has been out since April. He had to undergo knee surgery. They had just won the SmackDown Tag Team titles, him and Matt, and immediately they were forced to vacate them. I think it might have been the week after. I don't think they defended them one time. They had to vacate the championships. I had just seen a report this week that Jeff was progressing very nicely. And in fact, he may have even been ahead of schedule with the rehab on his knee. Supposed to be out probably six to nine months. And supposedly he is or was ahead of schedule and doing very well as far as the injury goes. And now this. And now you hear about this. The only thing I could say is... Thankfully, he wasn't behind the wheel of his car like he was last year. And even last year, it was a one-car accident. You know, hey, thankfully, he wasn't behind the wheel. You know, his brother, when Matt was at his worst, he was just nearly at rock bottom. This is going back many years, probably seven or eight years now. And I talked a lot about the Matt Hardy stuff on the podcast because it just felt like he was getting popped for DUI or DWI every other week. Every other week on the sound off, I was talking about Matt Hardy getting arrested again. And he put a lot of other lives at risk, not just his own. And it's good to see how he has gotten his life in order and seems to be doing very well. I hope 
Jeff Hardy can do the same. And I know we don't have all the details yet. And they may treat this thing down there like a speeding ticket. Oh, it's not a big deal. But I also know this. I also know that for all the times that, you know, I would get drunk when I went out. Or friends of mine, you know, people go out on a weekend. They go out drinking. They have one too many. Nobody I know ever got their mugshot taken at the end of the night. Jeff Hardy has had his mugshot taken now how many times? Three? Probably three or four different times over the years. And not always for alcohol. That's not normal. That's not normal. If they have to take you in to get your picture taken, you're doing something wrong with your life. Guy's got two kids now, two young kids. If he can't go out and drink without getting arrested at the end of the night then he shouldn't be drinking. Especially when his employer now is forced to have to put a statement out distancing themselves from this person. Oh, I'm sure WWE just loves that publicity. (laughs) Having to put out statements like this. It's not worth losing your job over. It's not worth losing your life, but it's not worth losing your job. So I hope he gets his head on straight. You heard a little bit of bagel boss guy there at the end of the intro napoleon bagel might he's got a little man complex worse than anyone that i've ever seen and clearly has not had a lot of luck with the ladies i can't imagine why uh, you probably saw that video this week it went viral all over social media of the guy who lost his mind in the bagel shop in long island started cussing up a storm and going off on women who laugh at him and mock him for being whatever he five feet tall Mind you, this is what he claims. He claims that it's all of the women, they laugh at me and they mock me and this and that. It could very well be that he goes out on dates with women one time and they never call him again because he's a raging asshole with a bad temper. But he has convinced himself that the world is out to get him because he's only five feet tall. He's obviously going through a rough time in his life. Apparently he lost his job, he's living out of his car... He's fallen on tough times. And that's all sad and stuff. But you know what? I don't care what your sob story is. That does not give you the right to treat other people like shit. And I am glad that that dude in the video took him to the ground. In the video, you know, this guy, he looks up at this guy. Clearly, he's t- I mean, everybody is probably taller than him, I guess. But in the video, he looks up at this one guy. He says, oh, go ahead and attack me. And the guy tackles him to the ground. He obviously wasn't expecting the guy to actually attack him. But he gave him permission to do so. So that's what he did. And now the guy is getting his 15 minutes of fame. He's been interviewed by a bunch of TV news stations. There's been other incidents people have recorded of him going into a 7-Eleven. And again, acting like a giant asshole and calling the cops. And they're mocking me. They're making fun of me. You know, wow, wow, wow. And so he's getting his 15 minutes of fame. He's getting his uh, bagel and locks. Now in a couple of weeks, bagel boss dude is going to go the way of the pizza rat here in New York and be forgotten. But I I hope the dude gets help somehow. You know, you can't force somebody to get help. He's a grown man. But hopefully he gets help because we can laugh and we can joke and talk about all, you know, how funny it all is and how it's, he's always all talk. He's harmless. He talks a big talk and then when, you know, somebody calls him out or, you know, gets aggressive with him, he kind of wilts and all that. 
Yeah, he's harmless until he walks back into that bagel store with an assault rifle and blows everybody away. God forbid. And this is America, so you know it wouldn't be very hard for him to do that. If I'm that bagel shop, I'm investing in a good security guard for a few weeks because that guy is unhinged. So those are my thoughts for the few of you who asked me, am I going to talk about the bagel guy? Uh, That's pretty much all I have to say about him. But the other thing you heard there in the intro before the Bagel Boss guy was part of the interview that Bailey gave to Christine Leahy on her Fox Sports 1 show, Fair Game, that made news this week. Fox is already having WWE talent on its programming in preparation for the big SmackDown debut this October. The synergy has begun. It's going to be great to hear Joe Buck talking about SmackDown during the World Series this year. And so it's already begun. And Leahy had Bailey on, and she asked Bailey to name the first thing that fans would be surprised to learn about life on the road for a WWE superstar. And Bailey said, well, it's it's not pretty. It's actually pretty hard. And the hardest part is the driving that they have to do after the shows. Sometimes they could finish a show you know, pretty late, and then have to drive four or five hours just to get to the next town for the next show. And sometimes they drive through the sketchiest neighborhoods. You don't know where you are. You can get lost. You run out of gas. She says it happens. You know, she says it it never happened to her. She herself never ran out of gas, but she's had a few close calls where she's had to take her foot off the pedal for a while, I guess, to uh, conserve gas so she didn't run out. And Leahy was incredulous. She could not believe that these WWE superstars, you guys are superstars. She couldn't believe that these WWE superstars, that they had to drive themselves around, that they didn't have a driver waiting for them after the show was over. Oh, hey, you know, you worked a long day. Here's your driver to take you to the next town. I don't know what she's expecting, you know. You have a mint and a pillow waiting for you in the back seat. You want a foot rub? You want a foot massage too while you're at it? I don't know. But she was incredulous. She could not believe it. When she heard this. Couldn't believe it. And and with a full tank of gas too. They should have a driver waiting for them with a full tank of gas. So she couldn't believe that they had to go out and, and buy their own rental cars. And drive themselves. Or rent you know the rental cars and drive themselves. And Bailey said well you know we. And you could tell she was getting very uncomfortable. And she said well you know we do it five days a week. And yeah the company can't do that for 30 superstars. Every single week. To which Leahy responded, I don't know, I think they make a lot of money off you guys. And Bailey agreed with that. She said, well, they do. (laughs) Uh, And Leahy, she even offered to help negotiate their new collective bargaining agreement. Which would imply they already have a CBA. That they already have a collective bargaining agreement. And Bailey informed her, we do not. And Leahy said, well, let's make one. And she even later on, when they posted the clip on Twitter... Leahy posted the clip, and she had the cap. And by the way, that clip has since been taken down. I don't know if the full interview has been taken down, if it was on YouTube and now it's not there, but on on, uh, Twitter, uh, they took that clip down, which is very interesting. But she tweeted it initially, and she had the caption with it. She said, shocked to hear this, happy to help with the CBA negotiation anytime. Now... Other sports leagues, uh, and I was amazed at how many messages there were. What is the CBA and this and that, especially when, you know, this thing called Google exists. But 
you know, other sports leagues, they have collective bargaining agreements. The Major, you know, Major League Baseball Players Association, they were one of the first, I think, if not the first, to negotiate an agreement like that in sports, at least in this country, that was many, many years ago, many decades ago. Uh, the NBA has one as well. It's basically an agreement between the Players Association and the league. You know, all of the team owners. That spells out things like uh, salary cap, player contracts, revenue splits, all, all sorts of things. You know, they have a union, and the union then works on their behalf to make a, a fair deal. And every few years, things flare up. The players threaten to strike. It's happening right now, in fact. Just last week, we had the MLB All-Star Game, and a lot of the players were openly talking about wanting big changes in the next CBA uh, before the current one expires. They've got two years left, and if they don't see some big changes, they're threatening to walk out. You know, and, and they did it. It was over 20 years ago, 25 years ago, there was, you know, a big walkout in baseball and it really affected things. So they're already threatening before this current CBA even expires. You can see why Vince McMahon would not want to ever deal with a union <laughs> or any kind of like players association type uh, organization and why he, is, he was more than happy to stomp out whatever Jesse Ventura was trying to organize before WrestleMania 2 when Hulk Hogan ratted him out. You could see why he would feel that way. I mean, put yourself... I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but put yourself in Vince McMahon's shoes. You know, would you want to have to deal with something like this? You know, it's no wonder that they have uh, snuffed out any attempts like that over the years. Anyway, Bailey looked and sounded mortified when this was even brought up because what is she supposed to say? She didn't expect this. And she's sitting there, she's at the time, you know, SmackDown Women's Champion, and she's gets this, this curveball thrown to her, which was not meant to be a gotcha-type question. You know, the interviewer legitimately thought that this is the way things worked, and she was shocked to find out that it wasn't. And now Bailey is in this really uncomfortable uh, position, and, you know, you know what's she, what's she going to say? Yes, I think we should have a union. I mean, that's practically a cuss word. To Vince McMahon, even though the irony is that Vince McMahon was part of a faction 20 years ago in his own company called The Union. Uh, talk about an inside joke. But she looked so uncomfortable when all of that came up. Because, of course, she knows it's bullshit that they have to pay for their own rental cars and they have to drive around for seven hours, six hours, whatever it is, after 11 o'clock at night just to get to the next town. Because, you know, if you leave before the show is over, you'll probably get heat. The dreaded heat for leaving before the last match is over. So none of this, hey, I'm in the first match, this is great, I'm going to work and go shower and get an early start to get to the next town. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. You know? And, and look, I'm not going to sit here and I'm not going to litigate the whole union thing or independent contractor thing again because I've already, I've said my piece on this and it's not going, nothing is going to change. You know, the union thing especially. I always think back to the quote that Jim Ross once gave. And Jim Ross worked in talent relations for many, many years. So he was intimately involved with the talent and, you know, their thoughts on things and, and their wants and needs and all that type of stuff. 
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit and, and part of negotiations, contract negotiations as well. But I remember the old Jim Ross quote about why a union in wrestling will never, ever happen. Because you cannot get a group of wrestlers together in a room to even agree on what to have for lunch. Let alone talk about revenue splits and this whole like uh, new constitution that they're going to write up. It's just not going to happen. But it was amazing that this happened on a Fox show. Of all places, which you would think would be friendly territory for Bailey. But this is what happens when wrestling flies under the radar, when WWE flies under the radar for as long as it has, and you are interviewed by somebody who clearly does not know the first thing about WWE. You know, when the outside world hears about these things, like in the John Oliver piece he did on HBO, you heard audible gasps from the crowd when they would talk about these things. And how, you know, they treat the talent, not as employees, but quote, you know, independent contractors. And people were stunned. They couldn't believe it. And then what happened? Nothing. Because that's what always happens. Inevitably, nothing changes. But I've always been shocked myself. I said this to somebody on Twitter. We were having a a discussion. I, I have always been shocked that we have not heard more stories of wrestlers. And this could be independent wrestlers even, not just in WWE. Because, you know, it's not just WWE guys that work, you know, multiple shows and go driving on the road and, you know, to get from town to town. But the schedule that WWE keeps, I've always been shocked that we don't have more stories of wrestlers falling asleep behind the wheel and driving off the road in the middle of the night. Which is something you would think the company would want to protect against. Without the talent, there is no WWE. They're kind of important. And I would imagine that, yeah, that's one of the reasons why a lot of them carpool together, besides trying to save on road expenses, they probably do it, in some cases, as much to keep each other awake and alert as anything else. I'm shocked we have not had more tragedies like that. You know, the most famous one is probably Joey Morella, Gorilla Monsoon's son, his, his adopted son. He was a referee for WWE for many years. He was the referee, in fact, for probably the most famous match in the history of the company. Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant at WrestleMania 3. And he had just finished working a show for them. It was somewhere on the East Coast. That was, I, th- I want to say it was either Maryland or Massachusetts. It was one of those states. And he and Harvey Whippleman were riding together in the same car, in the same rental car, on their way to a show in Newark, New Jersey. Now, Whippleman was wearing his seatbelt. Joey was not. I don't know what hour of the night it was. It was obviously pretty late. 
and Joey fell asleep behind the wheel on the New Jersey Turnpike. He ran off the road, he ran right through a guardrail, and he hit a tree. And he was killed on impact. Whippleman, thankfully, he survived. That seatbelt saved his life. And everybody listening to this, I would bet, most people listening to this who have a valid driver's license, if you've driven for any length of time, whether you drive a lot or... But if you've driven, you have a license, you have had an experience, I guarantee at least once in your life, where you caught yourself dozing off behind the wheel, your eyes felt heavy, trying to keep your eyes open, roll down the window, blast the radio, tell the person next to you, hey, you know, talk to me. Trying to, trying to keep alert, trying to keep awake. It's a very scary thing. It's happened to me. Very scary experience. And, you know, my father was a truck driver. Many of you know that. He was a truck driver. It happened to him all the time. He would have to pull over when it got really bad because he was on the road so much. Hours and hours and hours on end. He practically lived on the road. And when he passed away four years ago, that's what happened. He wasn't in his truck, thank God. He was in his car. He's in his SUV. And thankfully, nobody else was hurt. But he fell asleep behind the wheel. That was not a pleasant phone call to get the next morning. So, I'm a little more sensitive to stories like that. But for all the money that WWE makes, forgetting, you forget the whole personal drivers for every, chauffeurs for everybody, forget that. How hard would it be to rent a bus? Or two buses? If they're all going to the same place anyway, if they're on the same brand, you're going to the same city the next day. How hard would it be to rent a couple of, of tour buses to take them to the next town late at night when the show is over? Now, maybe they want to drive themselves because they want to find a place to stop and eat. Maybe they can provide, who knows, maybe they can provide catering uh, on these buses. I mean, they probably end up in McDonald's, these guys, most of the time anyway, because how many places are open at that hour? If, you're, if it's midnight, if it's 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning, and you're trying to eat healthy... How many of those places do you, do you think Pita Palace is going to be open in the middle of the fucking night? Of course not. And there is the argument that not everybody is going to want to be bussed around all the time. Maybe they like driving themselves. And and having the freedom to, to do what they want to. And they want to stop off somewhere, they can stop off somewhere. But how difficult would it be to offer that as an option? Take a poll. Maybe they have. I'd love to know. Have they taken a poll before? Have they asked the talent? If this is something they might be interested in. Certainly nobody in the company, when they get called out on stuff like this, or people bring this up, they've never said, well, you know, WWE did ask us, and, you know, I've never heard of that before. I'm going to assume the answer to that is no. How hard would it be to offer that option? And why wouldn't you want to? This company is worth billions. It's not a matter of they can't. They can't afford. They can't. But maybe they should. Maybe it's the sort of thing that, frankly, they should have done a long time ago. I think there's a certain acceptance to some of these things, some of these practices, because that's just the way it's been for so long. Well, that's the wrestling business. That's just the way the wrestling business is, right? You hear about the miles on the road. You're riding the roads up and down. That's how you learn. You sit under the learning tree. All right, well, you can sit under the learning tree on the bus, too. <laughs> it doesn't matter, you know? But this is the way it's been done. Come on, this is tradition. This is the way it's always been done. 
you know what? This woman may not know a whole lot about wrestling or how WWE works, but her reaction says a lot about how archaic some of their business practices really are. We had two wrestling legends die last week. I talked about that. Now this week, it's one of the most famous promoters in the history of the business. Paco Alonso, the president and owner of CMLL in Mexico, the oldest wrestling promotion in the world, founded way back in 1933 by his grandfather, Salvador, died this week, unexpectedly at the age of 66. His daughter, Sofia, who's very young, she's only in her late 20s, uh, this is per The Observer, has been named the new director of CMLL. They got all the wrestlers gathered in the ring to announce the news. They had no idea what was going on. They had no idea why they were being brought together. And then they broke the news to them. And she explained that her father fainted back on July 5th. And while on his way to the hospital by ambulance, he went into cardiac arrest. And he died the next morning. And they waited a day or so to announce the news publicly. Alonzo was a uh, very by all accounts, private figure. You didn't really hear a whole hell of a lot about him. He was not a very public personality. He was not a TV personality the way that you'd find with authority figures in WWE and other promotions in this country who, you know, can't seem to help themselves by putting themselves on TV every week. He was responsible for forging an alliance with New Japan Pro Wrestling that continues to this day and through which they also work with Ring of Honor. You know, he was... The one responsible, really, for helping to negotiate that. And Chris Jericho posted a video of, uh, you know, on his Instagram, just in tears after finding out the news. I don't think I've ever seen Jericho cry like that before. You know, he worked for Paco from 1993 to 1995. Called him one of the best bosses he ever had. Number one. With uh, Janichiro Tenru at number two. And Vince McMahon at number three. He credited Alonzo with giving him his first big break in wrestling. He gave him the lion heart name, Corazon de Leon, the heart of a lion, would I guess be the literal translation. Uh, Alonzo was the first person to put Jericho on TV. He was the first person to put Jericho on the cover of a magazine. He was the first person to put him in a championship match. And that's something that Jericho never forgot. In fact, Jericho recorded an entire Talk is Jericho podcast on Paco Alonzo this week. And he told a story, and he's told a variation of this story before, so I'll just sort of blend this together real quick here with what I remember from the last time he told the story. But he told a story about an incident at an airport in Mexico City. This was back, way back when he was working for CMLL. And he was a champion. And this Mexican airport worker, security guard, whatever he was, starts giving Jericho a hard time for whatever reason about the belt and Jericho is very worried that he's going to miss his flight he's checking his time I'm going to miss this flight I got to get through so they start mouthing off to one another which of course is always a great thing to do (laughs) you're trying to get on the plane let's just mouth off to the uh, airport security guard here so they start mouthing off to each other Jericho shoves him it might have been a light shove but he gives him a shove all of a sudden another security guard grabs at him from behind so he shoves them too Turns out to be a female guard. She kind of falls over. Now there's this whole big ruckus. And from behind, he hears this familiar voice coming up asking, What's going on? What are you doing? And it's Haku. Jericho and Haku were friends at the time. Not a bad person to be friends with, by the way. 
Haku, who rushes in. He proceeds to throw some of the guards around. Shocking, I know. Other guards come over. They draw their guns on them. And they throw Jericho and Haku in airport jail for a couple of hours until the president of the airport shows up. And he, shall we say, suggests to them that it might be a good idea for them to offer money to the security guards to kind of make their problems go away. So they did. I think it was about 300 bucks or so. They gave them money and they let them go. Although Jericho is convinced none of the guards ever actually saw that money. Uh, It went to someone. It might have gone to the president, but it didn't go to the guards. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. We are actuaries. In a world filled with unpredictability, we use our math skills to navigate uncertainty. Actuaries make a difference in people's lives across industries and the world. Actuaries have the freedom to work anywhere. And according to U.S. News & World Report, we're the 25th top-paying career. Make an impact as a fact-seeker and a truth-teller. Use your math skills for good as an actuary. The world needs you. But then a few days later, he sees, you know, Paco Alonso, his boss. And Paco says, hey, uh, look who it is. It's the king of the airport. Good security in Mexico City, eh? Paco never said anything to him about it. They never had a direct conversation about it. Never yelled at him for it. He just sort of made it known that he was well aware of what had happened. I just love the visual of Chris Jericho and Haku sitting together in a Mexican airport jail. To me, that has almost like buddy cop movie vibes written all over it. So too bad we never got it. So right now what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw it to my Extreme Rules predictions. Uh, These went up on the YouTube channel a few days ago. Always a good reason, by the way, to subscribe to the channel. That way when either bonus content goes up or sometimes you get early content before it even drops here on the main podcast. So these went up a few days ago. Uh, Run down the entire card. Predictions for all of the Extreme Rules matches tonight. I also worked in there some thoughts on Raw and SmackDown. I'll have more on that later. Uh, But some thoughts on Raw and SmackDown and some of the angles they did this week. So if you did not hear this, enjoy. For those of you who already heard it or you want to skip ahead, uh, this audio runs about 47 minutes. Kind of lengthy. So if you want to skip ahead, skip ahead 47 minutes because we got Fight for the Fallen to talk about and a lot of other stuff to cover here this week on the Sound Off. So here's the Extreme Rules Rundown. Enjoy. WWE Extreme Rules is live from the Wells Fargo Center in Philadelphia this Sunday, where the top two matches are tag team matches. How very extreme. And for those of you who live in the Philadelphia area, or even New York, New Jersey, if anybody's thinking about buying a ticket and traveling in, you've got plenty of tickets to choose from. I could still get two floor seats together in the second row as of Thursday. So clearly... They are still uh, looking to move some pretty good seats here for this show. There has been no kickoff match announced as of the time I am recording this. There may well be by the time you you listen to this, but right now there is no kickoff match announced. One match I thought coming out of SmackDown this week 
that would be added and never was, and I assume it won't be, is Finn Balor and Shinsuke Nakamura for the Intercontinental Championship. They had a match on Tuesday on SmackDown. Nakamura picked up the win. Clearly, he is in line for a title match, and I have to assume that they're going to hold off on that until SummerSlam, uh, because to add that match this late uh, doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. They've got, by my count, about 10 matches uh, already set here for this show, which sounds like more than enough. So I guess we'll find out in the next couple of days if they do add it. But if they haven't added it by now, uh, my guess is they're saving it for a bigger show. We got Drew Gulak defending the Cruiserweight Championship against the former champion Tony Nese. This is Nese's rematch for the title that he lost to Gulak at Stomping Grounds in that match against Gulak and Akira Tozawa, who wrestles Adam Cole for the NXT title, by the way, at the Evolve show. This Saturday, live on the network. So think about this. We've got Akira Tozawa, who is competing in 205 Live for the Cruiserweight title, typically, right? Akira Tozawa, a 205 Live star, is wrestling for the NXT Championship on an Evolve show on the WWE Network. He's pretty much crossing all the boxes off here. I wouldn't quite put this in the same category as... Uh, what was it, Taz wrestling for the ECW title, wrestling a WCW guy uh, while he was under contract at WWE at an ECW show back in, uh, what was it, 2000, when he uh, wrestled Mike Awesome. It's not quite as big as that, but that's still a pretty big feather in his cap. Kind of weird. So that's coming up uh, this Saturday, but, you know, Gulak calls himself the Philadelphia Stretcher. Philadelphia is his hometown. It's where he lives. And with a nickname like the Philadelphia Stretcher, I would expect him to get a hero's welcome when he walks down the aisle on Sunday and a win. Even though in WWE, the track record of those wrestling in their hometown isn't always so hot. But I think Gulak's got this one in the bag, so I'm picking him to retain. We've got Daniel Bryan and Rowan defending the SmackDown Tag Team titles against Big E and Xavier Woods of the New Day and Heavy Machinery, Otis and Tucker. On SmackDown this week, Brian said the fans should be booing the New Day because they all they ever do is come out and crack jokes. He said they're great athletes, they have great matches, but they're still just a comedy act. Well, I mean, that's New Day in a nutshell right there. He didn't say anything that was wrong. They do have great matches, and they are great athletes, but they are a comedy act. Now, Brian is like Chris Jericho with the gimmick he was doing in 2008. Comes out, speaks the truth, even if all the uh, sycophants don't want to hear it. Brian is losing his mind here, uh, or he was, on SmackDown because he realized that he is wrestling two comedy acts here in this match. Not just The New Day, but also Heavy Machinery. And they did this three-way match on Tuesday. It was Brian, Xavier Woods, and Otis. And I actually thought that match was a lot of fun. And Otis got the pin on Xavier with a uh, pop-up slam. Earlier in the match, they had Otis hit a double suplex on Brian and Woods simultaneously. He held them in the air vertically for a few seconds before dropping them. That was impressive. You know, and I realized that Daniel Bryan and Xavier Woods are not exactly the biggest guys on the roster. But still, I thought that was impressive. Uh, I thought Tucker did a good job, too. You know, I gotta give him credit. I'm a big fan of Otis. He's just a wacky kind of guy. Tucker 
it's kind of like I think the Street Profits, a lot of people, myself included, were always kind of talking about Montez Ford and what a, a freaky athlete he is and the big frog splash. And he's very charismatic, very outgoing. And Angelo Dawkins tends to be an afterthought in some of these conversations. I do think that Montez Ford has a higher uh, ceiling than he does. But, you know, Dawkins shouldn't get completely shut out of the conversation either. And I think the same here applies for heavy machinery. You know, Otis is, you know, a funny guy and, again, has a lot of personality and is very weird. And he's the first person I think of when I think of heavy machinery. But Tucker has been, you know, he's been holding his own, especially on promos. I thought he did a, a really good job on Tuesday. I have been pleasantly surprised by how they are using heavy machinery of late. And they may well end up on the back burner again, after, you know, not again, but if and when... And I think it's a matter of when, not if, they lose this match. Who knows? They can end up on the back burner. But they have been featured a pretty good amount. And they're starting to get over, I think. Uh, unfortunately for them, I think they eat the fall on Sunday. Brian and Rowan retain. And that paves the way for Brian and Rowan against the New Day. Straight up at SummerSlam. Meanwhile, the Raw Tag Team titles will be on the line when the Revival defend against the Usos. Jimmy and Jay, this is the match that I could see ending up on the kickoff show. I mean, look, the Cruiserweight title match is always going to be a top candidate to get bumped uh, to the kickoff. And it could happen this time, too. But the match hasn't been announced yet. If I had to take a guess, I think this is a pretty good candidate for it. Just because of it, this just feels so tacked on. And also because I could see them looking at a match like this and wanting a hot match on the kickoff show to get people excited and maybe entice people uh, to want to. And this, you know, I got to say this. I say that, and as I'm saying it, I realize, why am I saying this? Because it, it feels like old logic to me when they had preview shows on the preview channel on pay-per-view or if they were airing some preview stuff, let's say, on USA Network or something. And you want to entice people in some way to tune in. You know, they used to do that with Sunday Night Heat back in the late 90s. Everything was booming. It felt like everybody was over. Even the mid-carders were over. Everybody had a storyline. Every, everybody had something going on. And Sunday Night Heat could really pack a punch back in the day. You'd have Stone Cold come out on Sunday Night Heat and have a face-off with Vince McMahon. They loaded that show up, and there were many times where the copyright would come on. I probably, by that point, had already put my order in for the pay-per-view. But if I didn't, you know, a lot of that stuff would get me wanting to grab my remote control and order the pay-per-view. Is that really even a thing anymore? It just feels like with the network and everything, uh, I, I, I don't know. How many people, in all honesty do you think are going to just turn around and say, hey, I don't have a network subscription. What a great match. <laughs> what a great match between the Usos and the Revival. I have to order the network now. I have to see the rest of this pay-per-view. Are you really going to have this flood of people who don't already subscribe to the network rushing to their devices to subscribe because so-and-so had a great match? You know, they're offering three months of the WWE Network right now for 99 cents. That's their latest deal to try to entice people to sign up, which can only mean one thing. Earnings are on the way. They got to get those numbers up. 
Anyway, the uh, the Usos are looking to become seven-time tag team champions here. We had a six-man tag team, two out of three falls match. Yes, you heard that correctly. A six-man tag team, two out of three falls match on Raw last Monday. They, they are out of control with this two out of three falls bullshit. The, the no wrestling during commercial break. For the love of God, enough already. Please. It was The Miz... And the Usos against Elias and the Revival. Elias ran away from the Miz. He ran up the ramp. This distracted Jimmy Uso, who walked into a shatter machine. That gave the Revival the first fall. So they could cut to commercial. Then we come back. Miz gives Scott Dawson the skull-crushing finale. Wins the second fall. The Usos immediately tagged themselves in. Hit a bunch of super kicks. And Jey Uso hits a Samoan splash on Scott Dawson to win the match. So it's the Usos with the momentum going into the pay-per-view, which I think swings the other way on Sunday. I think the Revival retain. It is Cesaro who knocks for Aleister Black. We found out on SmackDown this week that Cesaro is the man who knocked on Aleister Black's door the week before. He played Ding Dong Ditch on Alistair Black, and now as payback, he gets to have his head kicked off. It's a good thing he wears a mouthpiece. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. And Cesaro really is the ideal opponent, I think, for Alistair in a lot of ways. You know he's going to give him a good match. I mean, I think it would be impossible for these two not to have at least a good match, right? So Cesaro, if you had to look at the roster, you look up and down, you had to make a list of like five guys. Who who would I want to wrestle? It's my first big singles match on pay-per-view. Yeah, for all intents and purposes, this is his debut. Forget the tag team stuff with Ricochet. Forget winning the NXT title. It's like the slate wiped clean, never happened, he's starting fresh. This is his debut. And unless it's the old days where they're going to put you on TV against some job guys and you get to show off your moves, because that's not the way it works now. They put you right into the fire. They put you right in there with named guys now. If you had to make a list of five people, not NXT, the main roster, who you would want to be in the ring with if you were having your debut match. To give you the best possible chance of having a really, really great match. Cesaro's going to be on that list. He's a great opponent for Aleister Black to have. So that's number one. And they've tried to give Cesaro more of an edge these past few weeks on Raw. With uh, the No Way Jose stuff. He's all business, no nonsense. He comes out. 
He's beating people up. They're trying to make him more of a threat. But he's also somebody that you know they're not going to do anything major with in in Cesaro. I'm sorry to say, but they're just not. So it's a sure win for Black in his debut match as a single. You're not putting him in there, like I said, with a top guy, a top name right off the bat. You're not putting him in there with Bray Wyatt, who also has yet to re-debut. I thought there was a chance, the whole, you know, knocking on the door and Bray's whole thing has let me in. You know, there was at least a chance it could be him, and I'm happy it isn't. It would serve no purpose to beat him or to beat Aleister Black in their first match. So I think Cesaro is a fine choice. This should be really good. Yeah, the way that Alistair has been uh, whining, it seems like, on television now for weeks. I'm not sure if the plan is for him to be a babyface or if the plan is for him to be a heel. It really depends on what plans they have for him. Is the idea to push him to the point where he could challenge, let's say, Finn Balor for the Intercontinental title? If so, you know what? It might be better to start him out as a heel. Now, remember, every heel is just a babyface in waiting. Even you, MJF. One day, as easy as it is to hate that guy, believe me, he'll be a huge babyface. So starting him out that way I don't think would be such a horrible thing. They split him and Ricochet up. Ricochet is one of their top lead babyfaces now on Monday nights. And Alistair could be one of their top heels on Tuesdays. Bailey defends the SmackDown Women's title against Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross in a handicap match. Alexa's been suffering from a bad sinus infection, which is why she has not been used on TV the past couple of weeks, and why Nikki Cross apparently was added to this match at all. Because should Alexa not be ready to go come Sunday, Nikki can face Bailey, Or even if Alexa is there, but she can't do much, they can take her out early, she can lay on the, lay on the floor, lay on the outside, and Nikki can wrestle most of the match. During the contract signing for this on Tuesday... With Bailey and Nikki, Nikki said, all of your friends have abandoned you. And between that and the fact that it's two against one, this would be the perfect spot for a Sasha Banks return. Seen some stories lately that she's on her way back. It's just a matter of when and not if. This would be a good spot for it. Even if it is after the match and not during the match. Although she came out after the match... That would only make sense if she then beats up Bailey, because what real friend would leave their buddy out there two-on-one if they're in the building, if they're in the back? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense for Sasha to just stay back there until after the match. So if this match ends and then Sasha comes out, I would be very leery when you see her walking down to the ring with some friend she would turn out to be. But I would love to see Sasha come back, pretend like she's there to help Bailey, maybe even chase off Alexa and Nikki, you know, when the match is over, and then lower the boom on Bailey. I mean, think about it. There's no need for them to even be friends anymore. She left Bailey high and dry after WrestleMania. We haven't seen or heard from Sasha at all. What kind of friend is that? So that then leads to, I guess it would lead to Sasha against Bailey, although more importantly, because I really don't give a shit about that, I don't really care much for that as much as I'd like to see heel Sasha Banks start a program with Becky Lynch for the Raw Women's title. Sasha's supposed to be a member of the Raw roster anyway. That's the roster she's listed on. I had to go to WWE.com 
and look up the roster that she's on. Not just because she's been gone since WrestleMania, but because this wild card bullshit. It is impossible to follow what brand everybody belongs to. I was sitting here thinking, wait a minute, I think she's on Raw, but I'm not even sure anymore. Let me go check. And sure enough, she's on the Raw page, and Bailey is on the SmackDown page. So if they ever drop this wildcard shit and get their asses serious about a brand split, and who knows, maybe they will once Paul Heyman and Eric Bischoff really get in there and you know start taking the reins, that's where she's going to be anyway. She's going to end up on Monday Night Raw, which is where Becky Lynch is. You know, they don't even have to do Sasha against Bailey, Or if they want to do it, hey, use the dumb wild card rule, blow the match off on TV. But the feud that I want to see is Sasha and Becky. As much for Becky Lynch as anything else. I'm not looking at it as some kind of reward for Sasha Banks, who up and, and unlike uh, John Moxley, like uh, Seth Rollins said, she took her ball and she went home. And you're going to have people who argue, well, why would you reward that? If she immediately comes back and she's gifted with a a championship program with Becky Lynch, one of the top faces in the entire company, what message does that send? You know what? That's a fair argument to make. It's a fair point to make. Me personally, I don't really care about that. I'm looking at this as a fan. I'm looking at the rosters, the way they're set up, and I'm looking for the most interesting potential matchup that they could put together for Becky Lynch. And it ain't Charlotte. We've seen enough of that. It's not Bailey. It's not Nikki. It's not Alexa. It's not Natalia. I come back to Sasha Banks. As a heel. That's a very important point to make. As a heel. Because this shit with Lacey Evans has got to stop. It has got to end. At extreme rules. So this is as much for Becky as anything else. This is like death. No wonder Becky is doing these interviews and crowing about how she still wants a singles match with Ronda Rousey. Of course she does. That women's division has been all but dead since Ronda left. She needs somebody like Sasha Banks right now. So I hope that's the direction they're going in here. But as far as this match is concerned... I don't see a title change, whether Sasha comes back or not. I think Bailey retains. Then we have Braun Strowman, ruptured pelvis and all, or spleen, I don't even know anymore, whichever organ it was, these frickin' injuries, <laughs> against the almighty Bobby Lashley in a last man standing match. Strowman must have mutant healing powers to be cleared by WWE Medical so soon after such a devastating injury. We've seen these two have an arm wrestling contest. We've seen these two have a tug of war. We've seen these two have just a straight up plain old professional wrestling match at Super Saudi Showdown last month. A match that Strowman won. This all boils down to whether or not they look at this as the blow-off. If this is the blow-off, then Braun Strowman wins. And I, I am picking him to win. He is my prediction. But if this is the blow-off, if this is the big send-off for these two guys and their their feud, then Braun wins. They had their Falls Count Anywhere match two weeks ago, which ended with them destroying the set and a bunch of explosions. Strowman hasn't been seen since, and on Monday they had Lashley squash Rey Mysterio. Rey's first match back, he was out with a separated shoulder for about a month or five weeks. 
He came back, got squashed on night one by Bobby Lashley. And to me, that just screams a Braun Strowman win. Especially if they want to have any chance of rehabbing this guy to a point where people might actually want to see him challenge for the championship again. I don't get the impression that there's this groundswell of of support for wanting Braun Strowman to challenge for the Universal title anytime soon. He's cooled off a lot. Yeah, he gets cheered when he comes out, but he's cooled off a lot from where he had been at his peak. If they want to have any shot of trying to get that back, he's got to start winning. Bad enough, he got you know put up in a hospital by this guy. He's got to come back, and he's got to rip this guy to shreds. But if they want to take this all the way to SummerSlam, if this isn't the blow-off, I don't know where you go from here. We had a false count anywhere. Now we have a last man standing. What would the next stipulation even be? <laughs> I don't even know. Hell in a, you can't do Hell in a Cell, right? Because that's, that's a whole pay-per-view all by itself. I'm not even sure what the next stipulation could be. Loser leaves town. You know, there were rumors a few months ago that Lashley's contract was coming due in August. And I haven't heard anything about that since, so I don't know if that was just a false report. Maybe it was true and he's since re-signed. There's been no stories about them courting him or sending him a contract offer. You know they'd want to lock him in for a five-year deal. I mean, if they're locking Mike and Maria and the Revival and Anderson and Gallows into long-term five-year contracts, you know that they would offer Lashley a sweet deal. So I'm just throwing that out there. I haven't heard anything about that, but if that's true and if he is... Let's say he was to leave. Well, then I would book a loser leaves town type match. You know, make it a real stipulation. You could blow it off at SummerSlam, but I have no idea uh, if that's the plan or not. But if they do take this all the way to SummerSlam, that changes things. Because then I feel like Lashley has to win. And with the last man standing stipulation, it's a way for Braun to lose without being pinned. So I'm kind of torn on this as far as who I think is going to win because it just depends on where they go from here. But I'm sticking with Braun Strowman to win. You know, again, this guy put him in the hospital. Nothing but total victory will suffice for Braun Strowman. AJ Styles challenges Ricochet for the United States Championship. Ricochet just won the title from Samoa Joe a few weeks ago. At stomping grounds, he's not even a full month yet into his title reign. AJ Styles has a pinfall win over him on TV. Ricochet got a win over AJ a couple weeks back, so they've, they're have they all knotted up here. One win apiece. I would not take the title off of Ricochet right now. I'm picking Ricochet to retain. I think it would be a mistake to take that title off of him right now. I don't think AJ needs it. I think this should be about establishing Ricochet. As a top guy on the brand. You know, here in this match, he's got the deck stacked against him. Anderson and Gallows, you know, they're going to be lurking. I think this probably goes all the way to SummerSlam. And I would do a ladder match on that show for the U.S. title. I would still have Ricochet win. You can have Ricochet win here. And still find a way to do one more match and have him win there. You know, AJ can take a couple of losses. I don't think he'll lose much from it. So if that's the plan here to keep this thing going, I would build to a ladder match. And that could be a hell of a match between those two for the championship at SummerSlam. But no more, please, no more hot potato with this title. It went from Joe to Ray, right back to Joe, and then right to Ricochet and Joe, I think Joe's first defense. So I think and I hope Ricochet retains. Speaking of Joe, we have Samoa Joe. Challenging Kofi Kingston 
for the WWE Championship. Kofi heard his back in a match against Dolph Ziggler at a live event last Sunday. That's why he didn't wrestle on TV this week. He should be good to go for the pay-per-view. Supposedly it was just a minor injury. I think he's back wrestling since then, so shouldn't be an issue. Hopefully everything will be fine as far as that goes. As far as Samoa Joe. Samoa Joe. If you look at his WWE run from his NXT days until now, Joe was NXT champion. He had a short run recently with the U.S. title. Other than that, Samoa Joe is a guy, if you look at his history in WWE over the last three or four years, he talks a big game. He probably is the best talker in the entire company. Talks a big game but has not had a lot of success on the main roster when it comes to delivering on those big words. Even Bray Wyatt. Bray Wyatt, the eater of pins, as I used to call him. And hopefully I won't have to call him that anymore, but we'll see. Bray Wyatt, the eater of pins. Another one who would talk a big game in his promos, these spooky promos. And then what would happen? He would lose all of his big matches. He would lose. Even Bray Wyatt had about six weeks or so as WWE champion. Joe never has. Joe's never had that before. Never been Universal champion. Never been WWE champion. Never won the big one. And I don't think he will here either. I think he's a guy that Kofi, in their mind, can beat to get them to SummerSlam. And I hate that because if it were up to me, I put the title on Joe here. Kofi's had a good run. Credit to WWE. They've done everything they could possibly do to keep this guy strong. Very, he's lost. I can't even think of all the times he's lost since WrestleMania. You know, maybe once on TV. They've kept him very strong. They've had him run through Daniel Bryan in multiple matches. Kevin Owens. Sami Zayn. Dolph Ziggler in multiple matches. They've given him people to beat. But if you give me the choice of building my brand, if I'm Eric Bischoff, if you're Vince McMahon and I'm Eric Bischoff, well, pal, you know, you want to build your brand around somebody, who's it going to be? And my two choices were Kofi Kingston and Samoa Joe. Samoa Joe gets my vote. You give me the choice, Kofi Kingston or Samoa Joe, who do you want to put your world title on? I'm picking Samoa Joe. He should have gotten it at Great Balls of Fire two years ago. Two years ago this month. Another failure for Samoa Joe. Failed to win the Universal title from Brock Lesnar. Here's another opportunity. But I think Kofi retains. Question is, does Joe choke him out and beat him down so bad that after the match, Brock Lesnar cashes in his money in the bank contract and wins the title? You know, Paul Heyman was on Raw Monday night. He was teasing. He was doing his monthly tease that Brock might cash in on Sunday, either against Seth Rollins or possibly Kofi Kingston. He said that he hasn't lied about giving us a spoiler since before WrestleMania 30. So either he's giving us all a heads up, he said, or he's just messing with Seth Rollins and Kofi Kingston's heads. He said only he and Brock know the answer. I've grown very tiresome of a lot of these Paul Heyman promos. Not because Paul Heyman is a bad promo. 
but he says the same thing over and over again. I, I for one, cannot wait for Brock to cash in so that way Heyman gets some new material. Do I think Brock is going to cash in and win the championship on Sunday? No. No, I don't. I'll be shocked if he's even there. I guess he could show up, but do I think he's going to show up and cash in? No. I think Kofi takes this title all the way to SummerSlam and probably drops it there, whether it's to Brock Lesnar or somebody else. I'm not sure who, but that's what I think happens. So I'm picking Kofi to retain. And we have Roman Reigns and The Undertaker teaming for the very first time to take on Drew McIntyre and Shane McMahon. No holds barred, which means somebody can interfere and it's totally legal. I see a lot of people on Twitter now, by the way, sharing that old video of Undertaker losing his mind on the apron during some tag team match at a live event many years ago, waiting for the hot tag, pouring water on his head, racing back and forth on the apron like he was on bath salts. I mentioned that weeks ago. I said, you know what? If they're going to do a tag team match with the Undertaker, I'd love to see them repeat that spot. This time, do it on TV. I think it would be awesome. I think that would be great. Now, all of a sudden now, I see all these people tweeting out video of that. I'm glad they all agree. I want him to do that spot again, this time on TV. But, you know, I look at this match, and yeah, I mentioned earlier on Monday night, they did this two out of three fall six-man tag, and it was the Miz and the Usos against Elias and the Revival. So Miz now has been reduced to feuding with Elias. And I'm looking at this match and I'm saying, you know who the real loser is in all of this? The real loser is The Miz. The Miz had a program with Shane McMahon dating back to the end of last year. Back to when he was still a heel and Shane was a babyface and everybody loved Shane because he wasn't completely overexposed yet. And Miz spent weeks and weeks trying to convince Shane to be his tag team partner. Remember that? Feels like ages ago. This goes back all the way to the end of last year. A program that I was a fan of at first. It was a long-term story. They were building to it nicely. It was not the main program on SmackDown. It was just like a mid-card story. And it was progressing very nicely. And for what it was, I enjoyed it. And Shane wasn't in every other segment on every other freaking show. So I kind of liked it. And it built and it built and it built to a Shane heel turn and a match at WrestleMania. And that's where it should have ended. Only it didn't. Shane won, even if it was a fluke. He won. He beat The Miz. And then he won again. (laughs) He won again. He beat The Miz again. Fluky though the finish may have been, he still won. He beat him in the cage match. Then on TV just a few weeks ago, again, even though he was outnumbered and he was laid out by a Claymore kick, Shane McMahon tapped out The Miz. In a shitty triangle choke. The Miz tapped out to Shane McMahon. He has been laid out by so many Claymore kicks, I've lost count. Now he doesn't even have a match on this show. You would think he's the perfect person to plug in there and be partners with Roman Reigns. Nobody has a bigger issue with Shane than The Miz. And instead he's not even on the show and it's The Undertaker teaming up with Roman Reigns who had absolutely no beef before this with Drew McIntyre, and the beef, whatever beef he had with Shane McMahon, was settled, it was squashed after their WrestleMania match three years ago. But The Miz ain't no Undertaker, right? When it comes to star power, which is the real reason why he's in this match. Although, 
Even the great star power of The Undertaker apparently is not enough to keep sections of this building on Sunday from being tarped off. So I don't really know how effective that plan is is, is uh, kind of being for them right now. But they were banking on the whole idea that Undertaker and Roman Reigns, first time ever tag team partners, wow, what a big attraction, and to some people it might be. Although I question how big of an attraction it really is. Now on Raw Monday, they did this whole show-long storyline. They promoted Roman Reigns and a partner of Shane McMahon's choosing to take on Shane and Drew McIntyre. And so throughout the show, we see Shane and Drew, they approach Tony the Garbage Man about being Roman's tag team partner. He should have asked Tony if he had a garbage can big enough to fit that entire show from Monday, because that's exactly where it belonged, in the garbage. Then later they met with the beer vendor about being Roman's partner, before finally offering $5,000 to a janitor with a limp to be Roman's partner. All he had to do, Shane said, was just stand on the apron. That's it. And so it was to be Roman Reigns and Gary the Goat Garbutt against Drew McIntyre and Shane McMahon. Only when he came out, Gary was wearing a Dos Caras mask. And hat tip to Lucha Blog for pointing that out. I wouldn't, I would never have known that. But uh, Lucha Blog pointed that out since uh, the announcers sure didn't. The announcers never would. But at least they did. Dos Caras, by the way, the father of Alberto Del Rio. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Gary, by the way, the or the person who played Gary on TV, he used to work for WWE. He was a director of live events in the Memphis area for them. He left the company to go work for the Memphis franchise in the AAF, which was that new Charlie Eversall football league that started a year before. It got the year jump on the XFL. And then it died, it flamed out, folded. I don't even think they finished the season. Barely lasted one season. So it sounds like Gary may be looking for a job for real. But uh, when he got tagged into the match, he ran wild. He hit an enziguri, he hit a flip dive. And all of these fancy moves that a janitor with a limp should not be able to do. And then, unfortunately, he ate a Claymore kick and Shane McMahon pinned him. After the match, Roman Reigns goes over, he pulls off the mask, and we learn that it was not Gary under the mask, it was Cedric Alexander. Apparently there were a lot of people going to bat for Cedric who pushed for him to be in this role and get some very valuable television time, and hey, good for him. Cedric was featured on Raw, he was featured in the Raw main event. That's about the only positive thing I can say about it. 
Cedric, after he lost and was unmasked, he was all smiles. He had a bloody mouth, but he was all smiles. Even though he just lost the match. (laughs) I saw the at WWE Universe Twitter account after the show ended, tweeted out a gif of an unmasked Cedric Alexander with the caption, well, that makes sense. Nicely done, Cedric. Nicely done! He lost! He lost! Yeah, nice job there, pal. You lost the match for your team. Yeah, way to go. At least Gary the janitor still got his five grand that uh, he was promised. At least according to Cedric, he did. That was my other thought. Cedric Alexander just stole a $5,000 payday from this guy, but he claims he got his money. But hey, good job. This stuff with Roman and Shane, it needs to die on Sunday. Reigns, Undertaker, picking them for the win. And Reigns and McIntyre, they're going to they're gonna carry this one. They're going to have to carry this one. Shane McMahon, the moment he hits the ring, he looks like he's about to collapse. The Undertaker always looks like he's about to collapse. His entrance is great. Once the bell rings, though, you never know what you're going to get. It's probably not going to be that good. So Reigns and McIntyre, they're going to have to carry the load here. Undertaker and Shane, I think they could do some big spots. And maybe out of this, and by the way, tag team match, perfect situation for The Undertaker. And maybe out of this, they decide to do a singles match at SummerSlam, which has been rumored between Undertaker and Drew McIntyre. There's been there's been murmurs of that lately. There's been stories that Undertaker has personally requested to work with McIntyre, which is why we're getting this match. I still think that him being in this match on Sunday has way more to do with him wanting to make people forget that awful match with Goldberg in Saudi Arabia. Of course, to do that, you've got to replace an awful match with a good match. So, you don't want to replace an awful match with an equally awful match. I don't think... It would be very hard for this to be worse than that debacle that we got when Goldberg got hurt in Saudi Arabia. So, if this match somehow is as bad or worse, oof, we're in for one of the worst matches of the year. And I don't believe we're in for one of the worst matches of the year. I think this actually has the potential to end up being good. You know, maybe with some uh, gimmicks and smoke and mirror. I mean, they already got the no-holds-barred stipulation. So they can use weapons and kendo sticks and chairs. And, you know, they can do all the bells and whistles to make this a good enough match. But maybe he does want to work with Drew. Maybe there is something to that. Maybe it does lead to a singles match. But because this is a tag team match, whatever Undertaker does and whatever Shane does should be limited to some big spots. I mean, hey, I I think we could also see Kevin Owens, and don't forget the Kevin Owens factor in this. He could factor into the finish here. I mean, I have Undertaker and Reigns to win. It's possible they win off interference by Kevin Owens. Look what happened on SmackDown. Look how SmackDown went off the air on Tuesday. Roman Reigns beat Dolph Ziggler. Kevin Owens came out of the crowd after he was kicked out of the building, and he gave Shane a stunner. He left Shane Lane with a stone-cold stunner. Plus, Owens doesn't have a match. He doesn't have any role at all right now on this show. And so who knows? Maybe it leads to Shane one-on-one against Owens at SummerSlam. At least if they did that, you know what? It would be a prominent match for Kevin Owens, which is good. But at least that would mean the end of the stuff with Roman and Shane. So I could live with that. If the idea is to go to SummerSlam and to do Shane McMahon one-on-one against Kevin Owens, I can live with that. 
So long as it puts an end to all of this stuff with Roman and Drew and Shane. I mean, Roman and Drew have been going at it since WrestleMania. I think enough is enough. And finally, Becky Lynch teams with the man's man, Seth Rollins, to put their Raw Women's and Universal titles on the line against the lady and the ladies' man, Lacey Evans and... (laughs) I tried to say that with a straight face. Uh, Lacey Evans and uh, Baron Von Corbin in a mixed tag... Let me see if I get this right. A mixed tag team extreme rules winners take all match. Is it just me or do these stipulations just get more convoluted every single week? Mixed tag team extreme rules winners take all match. That is a mouthful. And yes, ladies man Baron Corbin. There's probably people listening to this going, ladies man, what the fuck is he talking about? Yes, Ladies man, Baron Corbin. Did you hear about this? (laughs) I think this may have originated with some report from the Observer. I don't want to blame Dave if he's not the one who started this. I'm not sure exactly where it came from, but Corbin supposedly scores very high with the younger female demographic. I don't know what kind of internal study or poll may have been done, but they look at these demos And he scores very high with the younger female demographic. The same fans, supposedly, who used to go crazy, you know, 10 years ago, for Jeff Hardy. When Jeff Hardy was at the peak of his popularity as a single star. (laughs) They now, these same women, girls, whatever, now get a tickle in their pickle for Baron Corbin. Vince McMahon thinks the ladies swoon for Baron Corbin. Yeah. And the Mind Flayer from Stranger Things would look good in a G-string. Holy shit. Multiple times now, Corbin has wrestled Seth Rollins for the Universal title, and he has lost. Multiple times now, Lacey Evans has wrestled Becky Lynch for the Raw Women's title, and lost. So now, they have the chance to win all of the titles in the same match. And again, they will lose. This will be, I believe, the third such time losing for each of them. And they gave the outcome away the moment they announced that the match would be winners take all. Which means that if Rollins were to be pinned, not only would he lose his title, but his girlfriend would lose her title as well. And the same for Becky. If she loses to Lacey, then Corbin wins the Universal title. Had they not announced that, I still would have, you know, picked Beth and, uh, or, uh, uh, I'm I'm literally now merging Seth and Becky and calling them Beth. Seth and Becky would have been my pick either way. But at least you could have argued that, all right, maybe something happens and Lacey wins the women's title or something. But now that it's winners take all, there's there's no way in hell that they're winning those titles. And first of all, that is a supremely shitty way for a title to change hands. It was shitty when The Rock pinned Vince McMahon at the King of the Ring in 2000 to win the WWF title from Triple H. Yeah, six-man tag. The Rock pinned Vince McMahon to win Triple H's title. That sucked. And it's just as shitty today. But WWE isn't going into its second biggest show of the year with Baron Corbin and Lacey Evans as its top champions. The posters, I'm sure, are already printed... The banners are already made. There's no way they're taking those titles off their new power couple and putting them on those two. So Seth and Becky retain. But again, the question looms, just like for the WWE title match, does Brock Lesnar cash in his money in the bank on Seth Rollins when this thing is over? I say no. 
But if Brock really wanted to stick it to Seth Rollins, and if they wanted to get some real heat on Lesnar, he'd slip in and he'd lay Becky Lynch out with an F5. Rollins would lose his mind if that happened. But they, I, they won't do it. And I, I know why they won't do it. I guess never say never. I mean, look, they had, you know, Nia Jax get beaten up by a whole bunch of guys in the Royal Rumble and she ate an RKO, but she's a special case. And they're, to them, Nia Jax, you know, she's big enough to hang with the guys. It's a different situation. Uh, still hypocritical, but a different situation. But I, I don't see them having the guts to do something like that where Brock comes in and, and gives her an F5. Uh, but again, Seth would lose his mind. That's one way to play mind games with Seth Rollins, if that's what Lesnar wanted to do. I mean, me personally, I'll tell you what I'm tired of. I'm tired of waiting for Bray Wyatt to show up. Would somebody let this fucking guy in already? For weeks, let me in. Let me in. Now he's not even on TV. He's not even asking anymore. Let me in. Nobody will let this guy in. I'm tired of seeing puppets all over the place. I mean, look, I love, you know, Ramblin' Rabbit and uh, Festivus the Pig or, or Huskus. Huskus the Pig. And what's the other one? Uh, the, the, the the other puppet. What's, oh, God, I forgot the names already. <laughs> we got Huskus. We got Ramblin'. I'm Ramblin' right now. Ramblin' Rabbit. Oh, Mercy the Buzzard. That's right. Mercy the Buzzard. Abby the Witch. I'm tired of seeing puppets popping up every single week. We don't get any more Firefly Funhouse segments, which were I enjoyed. We don't even get those anymore. I would love to see The Fiend make an appearance either after the match or even if they want to hold off until Raw the next night. You don't have to blow everything off on the pay-per-view. They could do it the next night on TV. Have him finally show up in his new outfit in the flesh to build to a Bray Wyatt-Seth Rollins championship match at SummerSlam. And before you say, well, what has Bray Wyatt done to deserve a title match? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. But that's never stopped them before. Ha-ha! I'm using their logic against them. <laughs> Boy, it's a lot easier just to not bother having logic with anything. You can pretty much do whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> now I know why they do it all the time. Say goodbye your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But look, you could always explain it away by having a multi-man match on TV sometime between now and then and break and win that. And there, boom, he's your number one contender. I mean, it's not as though they have some kind of ranking system in place for this sort of thing, right? What a silly concept. It's not like I've ever pitched that idea before. They don't have anything like that. They can pretty much make up the rules as they go along. So I say the hell with it. Get him in there. 
He'd be more interesting than anyone else they have on deck at this point. Who else would you put in there? With Seth Rollins for the championship at SummerSlam. You want to do Baron Corbin again? So you can go 0 for 4? AJ Styles? He's probably still going to be occupied with Ricochet. Who else is there? AEW Fight for the Fallen aired last night on BR Live from Jacksonville, Florida at the Daily's Place Amphitheater. This was the show where part of the gate was to be donated to the victims of gun violence. And in fact, they did present a check at the end of the night in the amount of $150,000. This was the show WWE decided to counter-program by putting Evolve on the network at the exact same time, which I will have thoughts on Uh, Later on, not on this podcast this week, but I'll save that for a separate YouTube video once I have actually had the chance to go back and watch the Evolve show, which I've heard good things about. Uh, But the verdict on this show, I thought it was a good show overall that built well to their big all-out show at the end of next month, although it was a lot longer than it had to be. Uh, The buy-in started at 7.30. They didn't go off the air until almost midnight. Uh, Cody said later on, yeah, it was a little lengthy. A little lengthy, he said. They know that they only have two hours when they go to TNT. So what they're trying to do, they're looking at these as sort of their uh, super shows. And they have a lot, you know, they have a lot of talent that they're trying to spotlight before they finally go to TV. They're trying to establish new faces, new names. Uh, And I understand that. The show, that being said, though, the show did not need to be four hours long. Uh, And a commentary team that was very much hit or miss throughout the entire night. Jim Ross, he's got those flashes here and there of the Jim Ross we all know and remember as being the best of all time and what he does. But for the most part, he sounded very bored, I think, by what was going on. Now, maybe he, you know, it it could be an age thing. I mean, the man is 67 years old. So maybe, or maybe the energy level, he just can't get it to where it used to be. That's understandable. But it was noticeable at a lot of different points throughout the show. Other points, he sounded lost. Uh, And that could be the production folks. I mean, when they had the announcers on camera, many times, you know, he would be talking. And then he would kind of get lost or he wouldn't know what's next. He wouldn't know who to throw it to or there would be this weird silence. It It was very awkward. And that could just be a matter of the production folks not feeding him the information he needs fast enough. I mean, I don't know. Only he can answer that. And I don't think he's going to throw people under the bus. But it was very awkward. It made for some very awkward moments on camera when they would throw it to the announcers. Excalibur. I think Excalibur is pretty good. Uh, Probably the best of the bunch from what I've heard so far. He's got pretty good chemistry with JR. Uh, And Alex Marvez. You know, they went with that guy Golden Boy on the last show, the Fighter Fest show. Uh, There was some tie-in there with the whole gaming thing, so they used him. And it may only be a one-time thing, but they used him. And I thought he was really good. I thought he actually was pretty good on that show. If they insist on sticking with a three-man crew, I think he would be a fine choice. Instead, what they did here was they went back to Alex Marvez. And I was one of those people after Double or Nothing who said, look, he was not very good, but it's one show. It's the first show. He at least deserves another chance before people start calling for the guy's head. Well, last night was round two, and it wasn't much better than round one. And JR did an interview, I think it was with Sports Illustrated a couple of months ago, where he said that Alex Marvez was sort of going to be their Jay Glazer. You know, he'll be the trusted 
analyst and source of information. I guess in a way like what Mike Tanay used to be in WCW back in the day. He was the professor, right? That was going to be the role, in his view, in AEW for Alex Marvez. And that might be a great role for him, but that does not mean he belongs next to Jim Ross at the announce desk. A lot of times last night, he kind of reminded me of the low talker from Seinfeld, where he kind of had to lean in close to hear what he had to say. He was very low, very timid. I'm sure he's a nice guy, but he is just not a good fit for that desk. And I see no reason why they can't just have a two-man booth for their shows with JR and Excalibur. Right? I mean, and look, maybe he'll get better with time. Maybe he'll get better with time yet. But two shows in with him, that's how I feel. That's my opinion. And it is maddening to watch certain matches where they're trying to tell, the wrestlers are, trying to tell a certain story. And the announcers either miss it completely, or they're too busy talking about something else to even notice it. It happened in the main event. When the Young Bucks, they were just towards the end of their match, they are in the ring with Cody, and the Bucks sort of look at each other. They look at each other, and then they give Cody double super kicks to the back of the head, where he had the staples still in his head from that chair shot from Sean Spears a few weeks ago. And I think the story they were trying to tell there was they was you know they weren't looking to re-injure their friend. This was supposed to be a friendly competition between friends between these two teams. Not a situation where they're looking to injure or maim the guy, but by that point in the match, they were so frustrated by their, you know, inability to put him away that they broke that rule and they kicked him in the back of the head. And the announcers completely missed that. Again, maybe it's a minor thing, but it kind of builds up, you know, when and when little things like that build up, it's very frustrating. But it was a humid 85 degrees outside. The venue did have a roof overhead, but it was an outdoor venue. It was an open-air venue. And the weather clearly affected some of the talent. Uh, Fun as I'm sure it was to to have been there live, I would not have wanted to be sitting outside in that weather for four hours straight. So God bless those people, but better them than me. I was watching from the comfort and the air conditioning of my own home. It looked to be mostly full, save for a few sections up top that were empty. Uh, It fits, I think that venue fits... From what I saw on that website, on their website, about 5,500 people. That, now, that may be without staging. After you put the staging in and the ramp and everything, that might cut that number down. I'm going to guess, I'm terrible at doing this, but I'm going to guess they probably had between 4,500 people and 5,000 people in that building. And I really loved the, the look and the feel of that venue, the staging and the setup. I was getting WCW Monday Nitro Spring Break vibes from Club La Vila. You know, I'm a big fan of those types of unique settings. It's not the most important thing. Obviously, the most important thing is the action in the ring and the storylines. But all of these other things put together help create this, uh, a certain feel for the product. And I get emails from people all the time, you know, upset and, and disappointed that WWE completely saved except for WrestleMania all but abandoned the idea of unique sets for their pay-per-views and everything, but that's what happened when the pay-per-views became inconsequential. It wasn't a big deal anymore. Uh, and even, you know, look, they they are trying to save money, I guess. Even though they're bringing in more money now than ever before, you know, they don't do pyro anymore unless they're in Saudi Arabia uh, or it's WrestleMania. And the unique sets, you know, they went the way of the dodo. So we don't get that anymore. So when we see stuff like this, it really stands out more doesn't come off as Bush League or Minor League. It comes off as cool. It comes off as different. The only thing missing, I thought, was the giant pool. 
with somebody either getting tossed in or doing cannonballs like Kevin Nash did once while, when he still had knees. Uh, Tony Khan tweeted after the show was over, he put a screen cap up from an episode of South Park, juxtaposed with a screen cap from the uh, event last night, and he said that it was a year ago that he dreamed of this setup while he was watching an episode of South Park. And you do see the similarities if you look at the images. So if you're wondering where the idea for this setup came from, apparently it came from South Park. Hey, I liked it, so I'm not going to say anything bad about it, but at the same time, I would hope he's not just getting all of his his ideas from South Park. Uh, I don't even think I've watched an episode of South Park probably in, I don't even know how many years. My brother watches it all the time. I can't believe the show is still on, but hey, good for them. Production-wise, uh, I have to say I appreciate them saving the match replays for after the match so they don't interrupt the action so many times. WWE, you know, if you're watching WWE, every, every other move, there's a replay. And when that happens, there's five more moves happening in a little box that we can barely see. WCW used to do it this way as well. They would put the replays after the match was over. I like that. So, as far as, those those are the things I noticed as far as production-wise and announcers and venue-wise. So now let's get into the action. The buy-in, pre-show. Sonny Kiss against the librarian Peter Avalon with Leva Bates in his corner. I'm not a fan of this librarian gimmick. Uh, It belongs exactly where it was on this show. Belongs on the pre-show. Sonny Kiss has a dance background. And so he came out with the Jacksonville Jaguars cheerleaders to do a dance routine. He also had the Jaguars mascot out there with him, who unfortunately never took a bump. Uh, I thought the match was fine. You know what? For whatever comedy or comedy overtones there may have been, this was not a total comedy match like you would have expected. Kiss won with the Kiss Is It split leg drop off the middle rope, and I cannot watch that move without thinking about the infamous split leg pinfall attempt by Ariane. In WWE. I guess she was Cameron, right? Cameron of the Funkadactyls. When she hit a standing split leg drop on Naomi. This was in a match. I'm pretty sure it was on Monday Night Raw. She hit this move. And she demanded that the referee count the pin. Even though Naomi was planted face down on the mat. Your shoulders cannot get any more off the mat than they were here. She is face down... Cameron is, is basically, she's got her leg draped across her body, and she is looking up at the referee and demanding, count it! Count it! And the referee's like, count what? What do you want me to count? You have to flip her over. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But I guess that's the sort of thing that happens when your favorite match is Molina against Alicia Fox. You end up with embarrassing botches like that. So that was a win for Sunny Kiss. We had Shoko Nakajima and Bea Priestley making their AEW debuts against Dr. Britt Baker and Riho. Priestley was diagnosed with a brain tumor when she was 14 years old and had surgery when she was 18 to remove it. Wasn't sure if she'd ever wrestle again, and within a matter of a couple of years, I think, she was back in the ring. She actually turned down an offer from WWE at the beginning of the year to sign with AEW. So, she has an impressive story. Uh, The announcers didn't mention any of that, but she has an impressive story. Riho is only 22 years old. The announcers did mention this at least. She's 22 years old. She started wrestling, though, when she was 9 years old, which makes her the most experienced person in this match, even though she's probably the youngest. And I don't believe, and I did think about this at first, and I, I looked around, I cannot find any evidence that or confirmation that this is the same 9-year-old girl that Kenny Omega once wrestled in Japan. I don't believe they are the same person. But what a story that would be. If she was still wrestling, I have no idea if she is. But if she was still wrestling, if Kenny brought her in to work for AEW. Uh, Britt tried to tag in Nakajima at one point. And the reason that that is kind of awkward is because Nakajima was not her partner. And the fans knew this and the fans booed because Riho was her partner, not Nakajima. (laughs) Wrong corner. I guess they all look the same to the good doctor. Uh, Baker did suffer a concussion during the match, although I'm pretty sure it came well after this spot, so I don't think she can use that as an excuse here for why she tried to tag in the wrong person. Uh, Probably just a brain fart. Shit happens. You know, a good match, if not a bit sloppy at times. Crowd was kind to them. I think the crowd goes out of its way to be kind because they really want to they want to enhance the experience. We're still in the honeymoon phase. They're not, they haven't even debuted on television yet. We haven't crowned the first AEW champion yet. So we are still very much in the honeymoon phase. Eventually, the honeymoon phase will wear off. Crowd reactions, they may not be as kind when things go wrong. But right now, these are people that came. They wanted to enjoy the show. They wanted to help make the show better. And this match broke down into a four-way brawl. Led to a stare-down between Priestley and Baker. Got a big reaction. Nakajima missed a senton on Riho. Then scored the pin on Riho after a Rana into a pinning combination. In the last few minutes, we got some unwanted closed captioning on the screen that I could not turn off. Apparently, a lot of people had the same thing happen to them on their feed. Eventually, it went away on its own. Unfortunately, you know, it wasn't as entertaining. They could have at least made it entertaining. It wasn't as entertaining as those old Monday Night Raw closed captions I've talked about from uh, 10 years ago, when uh, Randy Orton would come out on TV every week. Somebody was clearly having fun with this, because these were legitimate closed captions. And Randy Orton would come out every week, and he would come out to different theme song lyrics to the beginning of his music. So one week he'd come out, it would be, you know, instead of, you know, I hear voices in my head, it was, I have oysters in my bed, they talk to me, they understand. <laughs> they have, I have boys in my shed, which was the creepiest one. And my personal favorite, I ate poison, now I'm dead. This was not nearly as entertaining as those old closed captions were. So Priestley and Baker, they got into it after the match. They were rolling around in there. They had to be pulled off each other. 
Uh, again, Baker did suffer a concussion. Crowd chanted, let them fight. Thankfully, they did not. Main card opened with Joey Janela, Jimmy Havoc, and Darby Allen against MJF, Sammy Guevara, and he's now got a t-shirt calling himself the chairman of AEW after what he did to Cody at Fighter Fest. That is Sean Spears. Uh, Spears and MJF, this was very interesting seeing the two of them team up because MJF, while he's a great heel and he's a great asshole and people love to hate him, he, if you follow the uh, Being the Elite series and everything, he is he likes to see himself as one of Cody's best friends and biggest defenders. And he was one of the first people on the scene at Fighter Fest after Cody got pasted in the head with that chair. You wouldn't expect him to be out there, but there he was. So he's no friend or ally of Sean Spears, even though they had to coexist because they were tag team partners here in this match. It's like uh, Survivor Series 1995 wildcard all over again. So the dynamic between the two of them was kind of interesting. At one point, he mocked Spears by doing the old uh, Ty Dillinger 10 hand gesture, and then he flipped him the bird. There was a lot of flipping of the bird happening in this match. I think everybody was pretty much flipping everybody else off. Why not, I guess? Uh, Darby Allen was one of the big stars of the match. People love him. He's a crazy man. Guevara. I thought Sammy Guevara really shined here in this match. There was one point he was flying all over the place one dive out of the ring back in another dive doing all this crazy stuff uh so he he i thought was was pretty damn impressive here in this match we had joey janela i have to mention this joey janela hit a death valley driver on the apron on sammy guevara so they both fall to the floor they're both in pain and the camera's right on janela janela sees this he looks up into the camera outside the ring and he flips the bird and he says Fuck you, Jim Cornette. Now, I know that Jim Cornette has said a lot of shit about a lot of different people. And Joey Janela, I'm sure, is included in that. I think Cornette even did a review of the AEW show and he shit on a whole bunch of things. And so, you know, whatever. Joey Janela is not a fan of Jim Cornette. Jim Cornette, obviously, is not a fan of many people these days. But especially Joey Janela. But I'm watching this and I'm like, I'm thinking two things. Number one, Jim Cornette has clearly taken up space. He's living rent-free in these people's heads. Because they go out of their way to talk about him. All they're doing is giving him more oxygen. If you don't like the guy, why would you even bring him up? So that became, you know, kind of a story. People were talking about that. But even beyond that, Joey Janela should have come out wearing a bag over his head after being punked out by Enzo Amore of all people, at a Blink-182 concert, which I'm going to talk about that whole thing later. So, he shouldn't be one to talk here in this match. He should have come out with a brown paper bag over his head with a sad face drawn on it. Spears pinned Allen with a running Death Valley driver. I thought Sean Spears looked real good here. He comes out of this having three different opponents teed up to wrestle. Cody being the obvious one. That's probably the match at All Out, I'm guessing. MJF and... Possibly even Joey Janela. So he's riding high right now. Uh, they showed Shad Khan sitting in the crowd. One of the Jacksonville Jaguars players was there as well. Private party. They were in the crowd scouting the competition. They've got a huge match coming up against the Young Bucks. Their final House of Glory match. And the Young Bucks final independent appearance. House of Glory on August 9th. I'm going to talk about that more in the weeks to come as well. They also showed the... 
this was funny. They showed the attorneys from the law firm of Farah and Farah, who were one of the sponsors of the show. This was so random until they explained that they were helping to sponsor the show. And one of the attorneys was sitting down and the other attorney was standing up. He had almost an empty beer in his hand. And he was clearly, he was slamming that beer down pretty good. He sounded like he was about one tequila shot away from having a really bad night. So I thought that was kind of amusing. We had Brandy Rhodes against Allie. They aired part of this great Brandy Rhodes video package. Like a background feature. That they originally put on their YouTube channel earlier in the week. And I had watched it. And it was really well done. Talked about... You know, it was her talking about her past as a figure skater, and she was this great figure skater, except when it came time for the big competition, and she would always wilt. It was just a mental thing. She couldn't deliver. She couldn't perform, and she was crying, and it was this very emotional thing, and it you know, talked about how she ended up being in professional wrestling. It showed her training. Really well done piece, right? It's very emotional. She's in tears. She's crying. And then she comes out, and she brings Awesome Kong out with her, and she proceeds to wrestle as a total heel, who I guess the fans are supposed to hate. That didn't make a whole lot of sense, (laughs) because this video turned her into a total babyface, and yet she comes out and she's the complete opposite of that. Kong was out there, she did not do much. I mean, Kong doesn't have to do much. Just her being out there, she's, you know, got this vibe about her, someone you don't want to mess with. She took no bumps at all. You know, you watch her walk. I, I'm not sure how many bumps she's even got left in her, honestly. I know she had really bad back problems many years ago. She might still. She wasn't moving around like somebody who I think is going to be doing much in the way of wrestling. Although when the match was over, Aja Khan came out. And the two had a stare down. That could be a potential match uh, at All Out next month. Or maybe they do some kind of a, a tag team match where they're on opposite sides. I didn't think this match was very good at all. Uh, Brandy looked very slow and sluggish towards the end. It may have had to do with the heat outside. I'm not trying to make excuses, but I saw this with different people, multiple people. Even Phoenix, towards the end of his match, looked like he may have been struggling a little bit there with the heat. So who knows if that factored into things. Uh, but for a woman who who looks as good as she does, and Brandy is a beautiful woman... She did not look good here in this match, I didn't think. Khan kept interfering and distracting Allie. That led to a spear by Brandy for the win. Her spear is even more devastating than your average spear because we were told she has a metal plate in her clavicle after she had broke it and she had surgery. So she's like uh, Lex Luger with the metal plate in his arm. All she needs now is a uh, the bus to drive her around the country. The Dark Order, Stu Grayson and Evil Uno who looked like a team that would be destroyed in three minutes on an old episode of Wrestling Challenge by the Steiner Brothers, or the Beverly Brothers. They took on Jack Evans and Angelico, and Jungle Boy and the Luchasaurus, who have added Marco Stunt to their act, all five feet of him. Oh, five feet, yeah, it could be an interesting match. Maybe AEW can sign a Bagel Boss guy. He can get in there with Marco Stunt, they're the same size, they could have a match it all out. Can't be any worse than that uh, Jabali match. Uh, the Dark Order's followers, they are calling them Creepers. Funny, that's what a lot of the women in WWE call their fans. Or they should. You ever look at their social media? Holy shit, do yourself a favor. Don't. Don't. 
this was the match of the night, I thought, up to this point. I thought uh, Jungle Boy looked great in there. He was one of the standouts. And the other, the star of the match, really, was the Luchasaurus. Now, he first impressed me when I saw him in Lucha Underground before they killed him off. Uh, if I remember, the best match he had, the last match he had, may have been a match against Johnny Mundo. And it was very impressive. You know, for a guy that big, you watch him here. First of all, he's got that badass mask. I think that's one of the coolest looking masks right now in all of wrestling. His size and the things athletically that he can do for a guy his size. And, I mean, he's, he's you know, a pretty built guy. He reminds me almost of an AEW version of Kane. You know, this is like a modern day Kane and X-Pac tag team here. And I was a big fan of Kane and X-Pac back in the day. I think Luchasaurus has huge potential as a singles monster. Which probably is bad news at some point down the road for Jungle Boy. Uh, Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus, they hit this really cool tag team powerbomb move that should be their finish. And maybe it will be, but it wasn't here. Uno, Evil Uno, pinned Jungle Boy with the Fatality, which is like an old Victoria Widow's Peak, but into a flipping cutter move. Uh, It's pretty impressive. Dark Order... If I had to say, I say Dark Order ranks last among all three teams here in this match when you look at them and you think stars. Like, who would you put on that first AEW on TNT? Who would you want to stand, you know, what, what tag team do you think would stand out as as stars? The Dark Order would be at the very bottom of the list. If you just look at them. But they held their own. They were impressive in their own right here in this match. They had already started the tease of them against uh, Trent Beretta and Chucky e. T, the best friends. So I guess it makes sense that they got the win here. Even though I would not have had them win, but that's the match they're building to. And so now those two teams are going to meet it all out. The winners will get a bye in the tournament to crown the first ever AEW Tag Team Champions, which will not start until they are uh, on TNT. We had Hangman Adam Page against Kip Sabian. The match was very i thought the match dragged for the most part it got better by the end page was selling a knee injury that was the main story of the match but nobody believed i think that he was going to lose because he's wrestling chris jericho for the title at all out so there was no drama there was no drama here uh page gave sabian a power bomb over the top rope onto the ramp very late in the match sabian crawled back in before the 10 count page hit the dead eye on sabian for the win just shy of 20 minutes Chris Jericho came out. He was dressed up as one of the uh, Dark Order's creepers. Hit the Judas effect on Adam Page and then ripped his mask off to reveal himself. Page's eye in all of this, uh, I think it was off the uh, the Judas effect, was busted open. I stand by my statement many weeks ago that Jericho should win that match at All Out and become the first ever AEW champion heading into the TNT show. I just think Adam Page is not, he's not there yet. He's not ready for that spot. And also, I think if he keeps winning like this and then he beats Chris Jericho, he becomes the world champion, you risk backlash by having him win it too soon. Don't fall into the same trap that WWE has fallen into with Roman Reigns and other people who get pushed too too hard too soon. Don't fall into that same trap because if you don't think the people won't turn on this guy, you're delusional. If you push too hard, it's going to backfire on you. So to me, Jericho has the name value anyway, especially going into that first TV show. He's the easy choice for who your first world champion ought to be. We had Frankie Kazarian and Scorpio Sky of SoCal Uncensored with Christopher Daniels in their corner. Against the Lucha Brothers, Pentagon and Phoenix. 
Daniels got himself kicked out after hitting a moonsault onto both Lucha Bros outside the ring, so he was gone. You know, the match was what you would expect from these guys. All action, some crazy spots. There was an assisted DDT to Phoenix off the top rope by SCU that should have been it, but of course it wasn't. I do miss the days where some of these moves would not just be good enough for a finish, but they would put somebody on the shelf, they would put somebody on television, off television rather, for weeks. Uh, And I know you can't do that now, you can't just, you know, every time somebody hits a big finish, you don't see him for four weeks, I understand that, but uh, these moves now are just set-up moves to the next spot. It's too bad. Uh, Mexican Destroyer to Scorpio Sky by Pentagon, Sky kicked out, that's a great example. Fucking Mexican Destroyer. Nobody should ever kick out of a move like that. You know, that used to be the old, the old Petey Williams finish, there's a reason why it was his finish. And now it's just a setup move. It's a setup move to the next thing. And that's not just an AEW thing. That's just a wrestling thing. I'm not trying to single out AEW. But, I don't know. Just kind of bothers me. So he kicked out of that. But what he did not kick out of was the package pile driver double foot stomp combo by the Lucha Brothers who pick up the win. After the match, they brought a ladder into the ring. And I'm, I'm watching this and I'm like, what the hell are they bringing a ladder into the ring for? And they knock down, they lay out SCU with this ladder and knock him out of the ring. Then they set the ladder up. And they both climb the ladder. One Lucha Bro on each side. They have a microphone in their hand. And they issue a challenge to the Young Bucks to a ladder match at All Out. Where I'm pretty sure somebody is going to die. Probably Phoenix, if I had to place my bet. Now they never said what, if anything, would be hanging above the ring or on the line in this match. Although I believe Pentagon and Phoenix are still the AAA Tag Team Champions. So maybe they're going to put those belts on the line. Otherwise, I'm not sure what the purpose of it being a ladder match is, other than to do some high spots. You know, maybe they'll get a bye in the AEW Tag Team title tournament, like the winner of the Dark Order Best Friends match. Would that even work, you know, having two teams get a bye? I mean, I guess maybe you can do it. I don't know. Kenny Omega against Shima. With the hard strikes and the kicks and a lot of the big moves late in the match. It turned into the kind of Kenny Omega match that you would see from him in New Japan. Very hard-hitting. Very stiff. Not as good. Not nearly as good as a lot of those matches were. But still very good. And I think I think better than the match he had with Jericho at Double or Nothing. Uh, Omega was working over the knees of Shima, who after the match was over, I read that he was down for a while. He limped to the back. So he either sold it great, Or he may have actually tweaked one of his knees. Shima laid Omega down across this tiny little timekeeper's table at ringside. And he climbed up onto the ledge of the staging area. And he launched himself off with a meteora. One of about 15 different meteoras, at least, that we saw here in this match. Sasha Banks was probably pleasuring herself. There were so many meteoras. And there was a Japanese guy in this match. So she had to be in heaven watching this. Shima hit two more Meteoras, Omega kicked out, Omega hit one of his own, followed by a Snapdragon and a V-Trigger for a near fall. Two more Meteoras by Shima, I was trying to keep track of all these, two more Meteoras by Shima, and an air raid crash on the apron. Another Meteora, but Omega got his foot under the bottom rope. Omega won with the one-winged angel. Very good match, one too many Meteoras, if I had to uh, critique. But a very good match. It was it was a battle. 
towards the end there. It felt like a battle turned into uh, a war between these two by the end. We then had open mic night with Chris Jericho, who came back out to cut a promo in the ring, completely unscripted, as he told the media after the show. The thing I like, and here's another bit of praise I will give, something I really like that AEW has done on their shows up to this point, uh, and, and New Japan does this as well, but they have the post-show media scrum where they have some of the talents go back and they have you know wrestling media people and press people asking questions and they answer them honestly. They're not really in character. You know, it's kind of, you know, they break kayfabe for it and they just answer questions about the show and other things. And Jericho did one of those interviews after the show and he said, you know, that interview segment was totally unscripted. He didn't even, there were no bullet points. There was no direction given to him by anybody. They just said, all right, you're going to have this much time to go out there and cut a promo. And Jericho's smart enough to know what he's out there to do. He's got a championship match coming up in a month against Adam Page. So why else would they be giving him interview time on the last show before All Out? To get the match over. He's not, he's no dummy. He knows what to do. You don't have to give him a piece of paper and say, hey, this is what you should be doing. So he said he had nothing at all. He told Dean Malenko, Dean Malenko's an agent now there, he told Dean Malenko that was the first time that he's been able to do that in 20 years. He just winged it. And he did a fine job. I think this guy may have done this a time or two in the past, this promo stuff. Call me crazy, but he sounded like he's done this before. He, he had the, uh, the blood, he said, of Hangman Page still on his hands, and he was showing us, didn't look like blood at all. Not human blood. Looked like magic marker. Uh, he called Jacksonville, Jerksonville, and uh, Jackoffville. Cute, but not as funny as him calling Goldberg Greenberg back in the day because that just works on so many levels. Uh, he also called uh, Jacksonville the White Trash Riviera. And then he praised Hangman Page as one of the top young prospects that he has seen in a long time. And he did that by design. He put him over. It was by design. He, he told this story. He said in 1990, he was still relatively new in the business. In 1990, he worked with an old guy named Bulldog Bob Brown. And by that point, he was in his 50s already. He was not a very nice man. But he taught Jericho, if you call me an old man, if you're going to cut a promo on me before our match, and you call me an old man, and then you beat me, well, what did you really accomplish? Because all you did was you beat up an old guy. But if you talk about me like I'm the toughest son of a bitch that you've ever seen, and I'm the toughest challenge of your career, and I'm this big deal, I'm this big shot, and then you beat me, well, now you've done something. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. 
Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And he didn't beat Bulldog, by the way. But, you know, he told that story. And, and so he applied that here. He has to beat the hangman, he said, over and over and over again. I have to beat the hangman. I have to beat the hangman. I have to kill the Batman, over and over and over again. That brought out Hangman Page. The two of them rolled around for a while. Jericho escaped. And Hangman had one hell of a black eye and a bloody scar above his eye from the uh, attack by Jericho earlier in the show. I thought Jericho was great here. And I thought this segment did exactly what it needed to do to get people amped up for their match at All Out. Then we had the main event, the brotherhood of Cody and Dustin Rhodes against the Young Bucks. There's a little bit of friendly competition here until Nick Jackson slapped Cody across the face and then it wasn't so friendly anymore. The crowd was was quieter for a lot of this than they were for the earlier matches because by this point it was very late in the show. They were approaching four hours almost. They were still sitting out there, those people in the heat. Uh, sweating their balls off and so you know they they just were not as energetic for this as they probably would have been if it was in the middle of the show cody took off his hollywood hogan weightlifting belt at one point he was using it on uh, i think it was nick as a weapon i can't recap the whole thing i mean we had stereo sharpshooters by the bucks at one point dustin i thought dustin was killing it in there you know snap power slams for the bucks uh, he did a senton off the apron onto Matt Jackson. This guy's 50 years old. He's doing sentons out of the ring. Cody also did a dive out. He had the Flying Rhodes brothers. Dustin hit stereo shatter dreams, one on each buck in each corner. Uh, I like the spot, and this is the one I talked about earlier, that the announcers, I think, really just missed the boat on, where the Bucks were teasing, uh, or they were looking at each other. You know, what are we going to do? Should we do this? And then they gave dueling super kicks to Cody right in the back of the head again I thought that was a a missed opportunity to really talk about that which the announcers didn't do I like the spot also where the Bucks they teased doing uh, super kicks instead though they stopped they dropped down like the Rhodes boys do and they delivered uppercuts so then Cody and Dustin gave them a taste of their own medicine they hit a pair of super kicks uh, Nick wiped out Dustin on the floor with a springboard dive Bucks finished Cody off with the melter driver for the win I cannot believe that in a matter of months we're going to hear the name Meltzer Driver on TNT. What started as probably a gag in their indie matches is now going to go mainstream. I don't know how I feel about this. After the match, Matt Jackson took the microphone and he said, Look, it got a little competitive out there. Uh, we've been making fun of you guys now for a few weeks, but I want you to know that you know, we've wrestled everybody all over the world. We've heard about the myth of the Rhodes Brothers. And, you know, Matt said, I don't really watch a lot of that other product. So I didn't see you guys when you guys were doing your thing as a tag team. But, damn, you know, you guys are one of the best tag teams we've ever shared the ring with. So, you know, they were not done. Clearly they had more to say and they were going to hand the mic over probably, you know, to Cody and Dustin. But they were interrupted by music. And you could see Dustin's like giving the cutthroat sign like, no, no, cut the music out. But they were short on time. And so out to the ring comes some of the members of the roster. Uh, Luchasaurus was in there with Jungle Boy. Shad Khan came out. They had a big check. 
and it was a check for $150,000 to donate to the Victim Assistance Advisory Council, Victims of Gun Violence. He, uh, no, nobody knew they were still on the air. Nobody knew. Kenny Omega had the mic. Cody had the mic. They, they, oh, we don't, I don't know if we're on the air. Yeah, you're on the air. <laughs> uh, but Cody took the mic. He goes, look, you can't counter-program what AEW is doing. Just can't let this go. Just can't let this go. He's got to talk about the whole counter-programming thing. And he said, look, I don't really have a signature line, so I'll give it to Kenny. Now, Kenny Omega's signature line is basically him going, you know, goodnight and bang. But they're doing a benefit here, kind of, for the victims of gun violence. So he thought better of it. And he said, well, this might not be the most appropriate time for me to do my usual send-off. And so instead of saying bang, let's say boing. So he said boing instead of bang, whatever. None of them had any idea that they were still on the air, which is embarrassing that you can't have somebody waving from the outside from the production staff saying, yeah, yeah, we're on the air. I thought that was kind of embarrassing, but yeah, look, a nice a nice little send-off there at the end. On the whole, I thought it was a good show. I really enjoyed the setting and the venue. Uh, I'm learning about a lot of these new faces like a lot of you are. There's people I didn't know much about beforehand. There's some people I knew I knew of, I saw them in Lucha Underground or somewhere else. And now they're going to have a chance to shine in the mainstream on a big stage like TNT in just a few months. And that's pretty exciting to see who is going to really get over as the next big star, you know? I mean, obviously they're pushing an Adam Page, but it could be a Luchasaurus, it could be a Jungle Boy, it could be an MJF. It could be somebody that we haven't even seen yet. It could be somebody they haven't signed yet. Either way... It's a great thing for the wrestling business. It's a great thing for the wrestlers. And things are going to get very interesting this fall. Between the SmackDown move to Fox, NXT, you know, there's been rumors. Is it going to move to FS1 or not? AEW debuting on TNT. It's going to be a fun time. Monday Night Raw was live from Newark, New Jersey this past week. Twitter poll, we had over 4,100 votes. Just 10% thumbs up. 33% thumbs down, 57% of you did not watch. 10% thumbs up after two weeks of largely positive numbers. I mean, the numbers, at least the last two weeks, we've had more thumbs up than thumbs down. And that's out of 5,000, 6,000 votes. It's pretty damn good numbers. And we regressed right back to where we had been. That really says it all. You know, people, despite, contrary to what people may think, by and large, you might have some, you know, people who do this, but by and large, people don't rate this show negatively just because it's the cool thing to do. If they like the show, the last two weeks have been proof. If they like the show, they'll grade it accordingly. And this was not one of those weeks. I thought that show last Monday sucked. I thought it was a terrible show. Terribly dull. A terribly boring show. Rollins and Becky against Andrade and Zelina Vega, they opened the show, turned into an elimination match. Why? So that Becky could tap out Vega five minutes in so they could go to a commercial without having to have wrestling during the commercial break. So it turned into a singles match between Seth and Andrade. It's pretty good. Rollins got the pin on Cien Almas in the end. So that was one of the few sort of bright spots I thought on this show. They were hyping the return all week long of Rey Mysterio. Rey Mysterio all healed up from his separated shoulder, coming back to Monday Night Raw. 
And Rey Mysterio, who would be U.S. champion right now were it not for that injury. Rey Mysterio, former world champion, right? Big star, big name. They hyped the return of Rey Mysterio for him to get squashed in under a minute by Bobby Lashley to help get Lashley over before his big pay-per-view match against Braun Strowman. Because Lashley has a match on that show, Rey doesn't. So the idea that Rey lost is, is not so much the issue, it's the way he lost. And how decisively and how quickly in his big return that he lost. I think it did more to hurt Ray than it did to help Lashley. You know, I mean, Ray's half his size, Lashley threw him around. Okay, so what? That's supposed to make him more of a killer? You couldn't do that with somebody else? You couldn't do that with Kurt Hawkins? You couldn't do that with Zack Ryder? Come on. Ricochet had to run the gauntlet against Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson. First against Gallows, he won. Then against Anderson, he won. Until he got laid out by all three of them, including AJ Styles, after the match was over. This was to build to the Ricochet-AJ match at Extreme Rules. You know, whatever. Paint-by-number stuff. Not overly exciting. I guess it accomplished whatever they were trying to accomplish. They had a beat-the-clock challenge. I hate this. I hate this beat-the-clock bullshit. Oh, my God. You know, I keep thinking if I, if I wish it away... Maybe it'll go. I like. I wished away the scramble match, and we never saw another one of those again. Bailey beat Sarah Logan in 4:32, which got chance of CM Punk. People were so into this. Nikki Cross beat Dana Brooke in 2:40, which allowed Nikki Cross to make the match at Extreme Rules for the SmackDown Women's Championship, a two-on-one handicap match with Nikki and Alexa taking on Bailey, of course. Talked about that in my predictions. It's a contingency plan in case either Alexa can't go or if she can't do as much. She's been sick the last two weeks. I don't know what she was sick with. She was posting these updates on social media. You would think this woman had the bubonic plague. Hopefully she's doing better now. We had Maria Kanellis and Mike Kanellis, and she had Mike fetch her some pickles and ice cream in a uh, series of segments backstage, which when he finally showed up with the pickles and the ice cream, she yelled at him for trying to make her fat. And she told him that, I'm not even sure if you're the father of my unborn baby. This poor guy. This poor bastard. If you want my thoughts on the Shane McMahon, Drew McIntyre stuff, picking Gary the Janitor to be Roman Reigns' tag team partners, or tag team partner rather, it turned out the big Cedric Alexander reveal at the end. You could just, again, if you skipped over my Extreme Rules uh, preview, shame on you. I went into detail about all of this in there. I gave my thoughts already. WWE tweeting out nicely done about Cedric, you know, fooling the heels by wearing a mask when he lost the match for his team is truly one of the stupidest things I think this company has done all year. Uh, Now they may follow up with Cedric on TV tomorrow night. Maybe it leads to more airtime on Monday Night Raw for Cedric Alexander, which would be great for him. But the angle they did on Monday and, and Cedric being all happy and then talking about it like, he pulled off some kind of great ruse, was completely idiotic. SmackDown was live from Manchester, New Hampshire, Twitter poll. Over 3,100 votes, 35% thumbs up, 7% thumbs down, 58% did not watch. So the did not watch number continues to not be good. But SmackDown was the polar opposite of Raw. SmackDown was not only, you know, way more thumbs up than thumbs down, by a pretty substantial margin. 
And I thought that this was a much more enjoyable show than Monday Night Raw was in every way. And it wasn't even the best SmackDown. But when you compare the two shows, it may have well been the best SmackDown all year. I just thought this show was far more entertaining. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You know, though, it opened up. There was a big brawl in the parking lot with Kevin Owens and Dolph Ziggler. Shane McMahon sent Kevin Owens home, and the match that was scheduled between the two of them was called off. Kevin couldn't control himself, so he was escorted away, and the match was canceled. Owens ended up getting into the building anyway, right at the open. The announcers are at ringside talking. Kevin Owens comes out of the crowd. He grabs a microphone. And he cuts this promo talking about how, you know, I remember the McMahons promising change to all of us. And the only thing that's changed is that Shane has gotten more television time. And nobody wants to see more Shane. And he's up on the announce table now. And he's saying that, you know, I'm sick of Shane calling himself the best in the world. And Shane is trying to cut his microphone. And every time he cuts his microphone, he grabbed another one. When Shane would cut that one, he picked up the headset off of, uh, I think, Byron Saxton. So now the crowd can't hear him, but we can. And he's saying, look, it's ridiculous that Shane is taking up television time from the likes of Apollo Crews. Where's Apollo Crews? Where's Buddy Murphy? Where's Ali? Where's Asuka? And Kyrie Sane? So they're incorporating a lot of legitimate fan opinion into this. And I have kind of a, a, kind of a double-sided point of view on that. On the one hand, I kind of like it. But that's assuming that they are self-aware and they're willing and prepared now to make changes. And so we'll see less of Shane on TV. And we will see Asuka and Ali and people like this in a more prominent role soon on television. If that's what happens, then great. They've become self-aware and maybe they're looking to make changes and fix the problems. But we've seen before where it's almost like they do it as a way to needle the fans and kind of mock their own audience. And they admit that this is a big problem and then nothing changes. If anything, maybe Shane will get more TV time. We don't know. So I'm withholding full judgment on this whole thing until we see how this plays out. Owens, as far as you know, the part he played on Tuesday, I thought you know it was, it was great. Although I could do without hearing the word pipe bomb ever again in my entire life. You know, somebody tweeted me asking, you know, which, which is the more overused expression, the more overused term in wrestling? Is it buried or is it pipe bomb? It's First of all, it's buried for sure. It's not even close. Although pipe bomb, you know what? I'd say pipe bomb probably isn't too far behind. It's definitely buried. People use that word. They don't even know what it means. Pipe bomb, though, I'm getting pretty sick and tired of hearing people use that word. 
You know, when CM Punk did it, it was a pipe bomb. That's what he called it, right? Pipe bomb. And it changed, for him, it changed his whole career. He was one foot out the door. That promo changed everything for him. And so I'm fine if people want to refer, because that's what it's called now. It's the pipe bomb promo. But now every single time somebody comes out and does like a work shoot, oh, it's a pipe bomb. No, it's not. Stop calling it that. We had Nakamura and Finn Balor non-title. And Shinsuke Nakamura beat the Intercontinental Champion, beat him with the Kinshasa. Seemed like they were setting up for the title match to be added to Extreme Rules, and it never was. They've got 10 matches on the card. Apparently that's more than enough. No reason to rush it. I assume we're going to get the match. If not on TV, we'll get it at SummerSlam. I'd say Nakamura and Balor for the IC title at SummerSlam. That's you know pretty SummerSlam worthy. So I assume that's what they're waiting on there. Dolph Ziggler was so upset that Shane McMahon canceled his match with Kevin Owens. He wanted a match. He was very upset. Shane said, I'll tell you what. I'll put you in a match with Roman Reigns. And Dolph was happy and he walked off. The Tag Team Summit... Talked about that during my Extreme Rules predictions. Daniel Bryan and Rowan came out. New Day came out. Heavy Machinery came out. They're all talking about each other. Bryan can't stand the fact that he's up against these comedy teams. It led to a three-way. It was Daniel Bryan, Xavier Woods, and Otis. In what I thought turned into a pretty good match. And it was a good chance for Otis to shine and pick up a win. uh, Pinning Woods. Going into the pay-per-view. I don't foresee a title change. I would not do a tag team title change here. Uh, but the way they set this up with what they did on Tuesday, I enjoyed. We had another Ali video package. He's been doing this for a few weeks now, showing him on the street, talking you know, about how he used to be a police officer and evil only triumphs when you don't show up to fight. Very inspirational messages here from Ali. He's some kind of superhero. I, I like that they're adding more color to his character and they're giving him a chance to showcase his personality. I get the sense that that's kind of who he really is. And so before he makes his comeback and we start seeing him in action again, I don't know if he's hurt. I don't know why he's been out, but uh, you know, they're, they're showing off his personality. Why is that a bad thing? I know some people are getting very tired of seeing these uh, videos or they don't get them. What, what is he supposed to be? He's supposed to be himself. He's supposed to be Mustafa Ali. I mean, what what other answer are you looking for here? <laughs> I mean, yeah, you got you kind of you almost get like these superhero type vibes, but he's not out there trying to be fucking Batman. He's not trying to be Superman, Aquaman, Ant-Man, Iron Man. You know, he's out there trying to be Ali. He's trying to tell us more about himself. I mean, I'm I'm ready for Bray Wyatt to show up. I don't know what the hell they're waiting on there. But, you know, the Ali thing, it hasn't it hasn't gotten too old yet. At some point, I'm sure he'll you know be back on TV, and we'll see who they program him with. Uh, I do think it bodes well, though, them doing these videos and giving him time like this on TV. It bodes well for them hopefully doing something meaningful with him when he's ready to come back. We found out that it was Cesaro. He is the one who knocked for Aleister Black. Covered this earlier. I think Cesaro is the perfect opponent for him. He's a perfect sort of gatekeeper... Uh, for Alistair Black and somebody that Alistair can beat because he shouldn't be losing in his first match, his first match back on uh, TV. And on top of that, it should be a pretty freaking great match. 
What's not to like? And then we had Roman Reigns in the main event against Dolph Ziggler. Shane McMahon, Drew McIntyre, Elias, they all came out. Shane was on commentary. I had Sunday Night Heat flashbacks. Remember the, the, the Booyah days? Booyah! Every five seconds it was Booyah this, Booyah that. Oh my God. So I, I had sort of my uh, flashbacks to 20 years ago. We had Dolph Ziggler setting up for a super kick. Roman Reigns hit the Superman punch for a near fall. McIntyre pulled Ziggler out of the ring. Reigns hit a huge dive out over the top rope. He overshot them, practically. Shane slid into the ring, and so he's distracting Roman Reigns. Roman's on the floor. He's trying to distract Roman. He's looking down on him. And while Reigns is distracted by this, he eats a super kick from Dolph Ziggler. Meanwhile, Kevin Owens, who had been kicked out of the building, chased out of the building, he comes back out through the crowd, into the ring, and he hits a stunner on Shane McMahon. So now they're back in. Ziggler tries for a zigzag on Reigns. Reigns counters, hits the ropes, comes off huge spear. I mean, Ziggler, I mean, what else is new? Ziggler sold it great, sold it like he was dead. Reigns gets the pin before the referee even counted three. They were running so low on time. They were seconds away from going off the air. I thought they might go off the air before the finish, which would have been very raw 1993-esque when the match would be in progress and Vince McMahon would be like, well, you know, we'll bring you the results next week. And guess what? Most of the time, they never did. They never said anything about the match from the week prior. Uh, but they got the pin in right under the right under the limit here. Roman Reigns picks up the win. Uh, they were off the air within seconds. I kind of liked it, to be honest with you. The, kind of the, the urgency of it, the, the, the sudden sign-off after Roman won. I liked it. I liked it. Uh, and while I do like what they did, and I think babyface Kevin Owens could work, and, you know, Steve Austin seems to have all but given him his blessing for him to use the stunner, I will say this. Watching him hit the stunner now, you know, he came out as a total babyface here, not as a heel, and he hit the stunner on Shane, and it, it kind of brought me back to the days of Austin hitting Shane with the stunner and Shane doing the big bump off of it. I'm watching this, and it does come off to me like Stone Cold Light when I see anybody else using the move. And I don't know that Kevin Owens should be Stone Cold Light. So I, I'm not saying he should stop using the move. I'm just saying if I felt that way, I would imagine other people probably felt that way too. And I don't know if that's such a good thing. Question is, will Owens get involved tonight at the pay-per-view? You know, you got Shane. Shane has a match. Owens doesn't. I think there's a chance he'll get involved in the finish and kind of help lead to a Roman Undertaker win. I guess we'll find out tonight. For those of you who have asked, what's the deal with Eric Bischoff? Was was he responsible for this show? The answer is no. Uh, Bischoff, in fact, tweeted from his home in Wyoming that he was about to make the 17, almost 1,800-mile trip to Stamford, Connecticut to begin his new role as the executive director of SmackDown. He is moving his life to Stamford, Connecticut. And that's in line with what I mentioned last week, which is that he was moving to uh, Stamford, per The Observer, this past week. He would be starting this coming Tuesday. July 16th will officially be, I think, his start date behind the scenes at SmackDown. It'll take him a while to get acclimated. So, you know, when are we going to see the Eric Bischoff influence on SmackDown? It could be as early as this week, but I, I still think we're a few weeks away. You know, and, and we could be a month away from really seeing uh, a sea change in these shows 
if they want to wait until SummerSlam? I don't know. But to answer that uh, question, no, Bischoff had nothing to do with the show this week. And uh, he will officially be backstage and in the trenches starting this Tuesday. And then it's going to be off to the races. And we'll see what happens from there. Let me remind you, and I think a lot of people here will agree, NXT is way better than the WWE. NXT this week, we had some cool new music for Heel Io Shirai. She was dressed in all black, looking a lot like Hitokiri, which is the name that she used in Lucha Underground as part of the Black Lotus Triad when she wrestled Pentagon. Season 3, Episode 13, for those of you who might want to check that out online, you're welcome. Uh, she came out, she was very brief, very to the point. She said, I don't need any friends. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And then she looked at the crowd and she said, I don't need any of you. And she left. That was it. No Candice LeRae. Uh, she just said those two lines and walked out. And that was that. We had Damian Priest squashing Blanco Loco. A random white dude build from Mexico, New York. I didn't even know that was a real place. So I looked it up, and wouldn't you know, it is in fact a real place. Population, a little over 5,000. Mexico is a town in the northeast part of Oswego, New York. It contains a village also named Mexico. So maybe that's the uh, Mexico that Trump meant when he said he was going to have them pay for the wall. We had the breakout tournament, first round match, Jordan Miles, the former ACH, against BOA from China. Miles, you know, he's pretty much the ACH that you remember from Ring of Honor, except there is one little bit of a difference. He smiles. Like, a lot. A lot of smiling, like, over-the-top smiling. Now, the last black star from NXT who smiled too much ended up being on main event every single week. More than Raw or SmackDown. That being Apollo Crews, who, as luck would have it, is coming back to NXT for one week at least. I don't know if this is a permanent move, but he's going to be back on NXT this upcoming week to wrestle Kushida. But for ACH's sake, I hope he doesn't end up as another Apollo Crews. Talent that just gets wasted doing much of nothing, who smiles all the time, even even though he loses most of his matches, he just seems like such a happy guy. He deserves better than that. He did win with a 450. He calls the Midnight Star to advance to the next round, so he's off to a good start. We got a vignette 
for a returning Keith Lee, who said that he has been in NXT now for a year. He was reflecting back on his first year with NXT. And he's not happy where he finds himself. He could do better. So instead of being limitless, he is now infinite. I guess he is the infinite Keith Lee. I still want to see him and Donovan Dijak finish what they started. They started that little feud, right? They had a couple of matches. No real clear-cut winner. Dijak got hurt. And uh, when he is back and healed up and back from his knee surgery, I'd like to see the two of them pick things up again. We had the NXT Tag Team Champions, the Street Profits, defending their titles against Oni Lorcan and Danny Birch. Babyface match here. Really good stuff. Really good stuff. One of the better uh, Street Profits matches that I've seen in NXT. Montez Ford got the hot tag, ran wild. Ford got a near fall. Flew, he's flying all over the place. Corkscrews here and there. And uh, Dawkins gave him a little bit of, a, of, a, of an assist on a sliced bread. They were trying to finish off Lorcan and Birch. And uh, Dawkins was sent outside the ring. Spinebuster, though, by Angelo Dawkins a few minutes later. And... That left Danny Birch on the mat for the frog splash from Montez Ford for the win. Street Profits pick up the win. They retain their titles. And they were in the ring celebrating when Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish walked out on stage giving them applause. They were giving them their just desserts over their big win. And if they want all of the members of the Undisputed Era to hold gold, then they've certainly set things up for that perfectly heading into the next TakeOver. They've got Fish and O'Reilly coming out teasing a tag team title match. Uh, and if the Street Profits really are on the main roster full-time now, where they're headed there, then it makes sense that they drop the titles very soon. Uh, they're also building to a Velveteen Dream North American title match against Roderick Strong. And so if he was to win the North American title then they would have all of the gold, save for the women's title, since they have no female member of Undisputed Era to challenge Shayna Baszler. Otherwise, they would have all of the gold in NXT. It would be like Evolution Redux. Two weird headlines this week to mention. The first, former UFC light heavyweight champion Tito Ortiz to fight Alberto Del Rio. This would be for the Combates Americas promotion that Del Rio was once the president of. Uh, it was just a figurehead role, figurehead position, but he was named president, and then he stepped down uh, when he was focusing more on coming back to pro wrestling. Well, now it looks like he's stepping back into the world of MMA, a world that he has been in before. You know, a lot of people think only about the fight that he had with Mirko Krokop, where Del Rio wore a mask to the fight and got his head kicked off his shoulders about 45 seconds in. That was a pride show back in 2003, long time ago, but he actually has a 9 and 5 record. I was curious what his record was. He has a 9 and 5 record in MMA. Now granted, it may have all come against no-name guys, but that's still 9 wins that he's got under his name. That's 9 more wins than CM Punk has. And uh, per MMA fighting, this would take place at a 210-pound catch weight. This would be Del Rio's first fight since 2010. Professional fight, that is. I should cl I should clarify. Professional fight. Not to be confused with the time that he beat up a Ninja Turtle backstage at a show in Mexico. A Ninja Turtle that he felt uh, touched his fiance, Paige. <laughs> it was Ninja Turtle Raffi, the Red Ninja Turtle. He uh, shell-shocked the poor guy, did Del Rio. Or, or how about the time that he and Drew McIntyre got into a bar fight with a couple of dudes and he showed up to the WWE pay-per-view, I think it was the next night or 
two nights later with a black eye. Or the time he claims he got stabbed. Let us not forget that. <laughs> he's had quite he's had quite a few fights, it seems, since he last stepped into the uh the ring or the cage or whatever. I mean, he may be able to beat up Rafael when uh, Leonardo, Michelangelo, and Donatello aren't around, but can he beat up Tito Ortiz? We're going to find out in a few months. The other headline, I was uh, checking out SE Scoops when I saw this. Enzo Amore and Joey Janela involved in altercation at Blink-182 concert. My week peaked at that point. It was only Wednesday, and my week had already peaked. That this happened at a Blink-182 concert makes this even funnier. I had no idea they were even still a thing. I mean, but then again, the Spice Girls just did a whole reunion tour and they cleared $80 million. So you know what? Why not? 20 seconds of video was posted of said incident, which Joey Janela claims is not the entire video. And, and that may well be true. So, but that's what we saw. 20 seconds. Allegedly, Enzo struck him in the face beforehand. Again, don't know how true that is. But what we see in the video with our own eyes, I can only go by what I see. And what I see in this video are two guys squaring up for a fight that never actually happens. But every time Enzo steps closer towards Janela, Janela backs away from him. And Janela's fighting stance, (laughs) not that I'm some expert fighter, but holy shit, uh, that was embarrassing. But watching him back away from Enzo Amore is something he may never live down. This all started when Janela tried to introduce himself to Enzo. Janela has a history with Enzo Amore in that he once challenged him to a shoot fight and said that Enzo makes, he made a joke of the wrestling business. At StarCast this year, he prank called Enzo on stage at one of the panels, one of the events. Enzo obviously remembered. The next morning, Janela tweeted, White claws are the devil's juice. Yeah, you know what? If I woke up the next morning and I saw people mocking me for backing away from a fight with Enzo Amore, I'd blame the alcohol too. It's a convenient excuse. You know you know what? I'm hardly an Enzo Amore fan, but if you're going to talk shit and you're going to issue challenges to somebody and then you back away from them when they try to fight you, that's just embarrassing. That is just an embarrassment. So Enzo took to Twitter, which was also embarrassing. He doesn't get spared in all this. He went to Twitter. He said, I'm glad you introduced yourself because I couldn't pick you out of a lineup. You don't want no smoke. And now I know it. There's only two things that smell like fish. One's fish. (laughs) uh, And at Janela Baby, which is his uh, Twitter handle, straight pussy. I'm not sure what that means in English, but I know he called him a pussy. I got that part. I understood that. And Janela replied, at least I said hello. So then Enzo came back. He said, don't try and play that wrestling shit with me. You'll end up on fucking World Star. I know World Star. See that? I know. He said, where was that energy at? We ain't friends at Janela, baby. Don't introduce yourself to me, fuck boy. I thought you were a fan. Ha ha ha. The second I realized it was you, I slapped your bitch ass hands down and walked at you. With my hands up, you fucking ran backwards and told my homie to film it. Soft as fuck. Janela said, it's not a work. I saw the dude. I walked up. I said, hi, I'm Joey Janela. 
at the uh, Blink-182 show, and we proceeded to have, he says, I'm not Lennox Lewis, he says, we proceeded to have the shittiest fist fight of the year. I'm not a pussy, but we had fun. And that did not make Enzo very happy. He said, boy, we didn't have the shittiest fist fight of the year. I slapped your fucking hands down and walked at you with mine up, and you walked away and let me know that it's all the shit you talk is all just the work. Which is fine if I were a wrestler. And Janela said, well, I'm not going to have any chance to wrestle or fight Enzo because my exclusivity starts with AEW in October. But I wanted to introduce myself. That's all. That sounds like a guy who talked a lot of shit about somebody and never thought that he would actually confront them and was trying to be like, ah, it's all just a joke. Let me introduce myself. Ah, it's all cool. We're cool, right? We're cool. Well, apparently not. Enzo didn't take it as a joke. You called him a joke. You prank called him. You talked all the shit about the guy. What did you expect was going to happen? You know, it's interactions like this that really drive home the point that Twitter is the absolute worst thing to happen in pro wrestling since the death of WCW. Uh, well, I mean, there's been some... Obviously, there's been some tragedies, but aside from that... The worst thing to happen to pro wrestling is Twitter. Remember when we used to have larger-than-life stars? It wasn't that long ago. What are we talking, 20 years, 25 years? Now we have guys pantomiming, not even fighting, pantomiming, at a Blink-182 concert, and then shitposting about it on social media. How far we have fallen from the days of Randy Savage and Road Warrior Hawk beating the shit out of each other and, and and ripping urinals off the bathroom walls at a Kid Rock concert. Yes, that did happen. That's a whole story for another day. But we saw more more action in that Bagel Boss video that went viral than we did here with Enzo and Janela. This was like the, the, the human incarnation of an argument between two people in the comment section on YouTube. There are no winners, only losers. If you have questions for the mailbag, you can email them to me, thesolomonster at gmail.com. Please include your name and where you are from uh, when you write in. We'll just do a few of these here uh, because we still have the SummerSlam countdown. Number five, in fact, we're uh, up to this week in the countdown, or down to, I should say. But uh, Josh was one of several people who chimed in on the whole Wilkes-Bear, Wilkes-Berry question from last week. I just wanted to follow up on this. He said, my name is Josh, and I've been listening to your podcast for close to six years now. I also happen to live in the scranton wilkes Bear area, so I thought I'd help you out if nobody else had already. In regard to your question about if Wilkes-Bear is pronounced bear or berry, well, you kind of guessed it already on episode 607. Bear and berry are both proper pronunciations of the city. I personally say bear. And so do other residents, but plenty of people also say Barry. The only pronunciation I've heard that is wrong is when I hear people say bar, as in Wilkes Bar. That is not right. That is incorrect. But the other B words are. I hope this helped. So there you go. You can pretty much say it whichever way you feel comfortable. Animal or fruit? Bear or berry? I guess both ways work. I had a few people ask me if I saw the Impact Slammiversary show last weekend and what I thought of the match between Sammy Callahan and Tessa Blanchard. One email I actually got before the pay-per-view even aired asking about Tessa against Sammy. I got a question. It was from Kenny in uh, Gallatin, Tennessee. 
who said that he would prefer to see a male against a female match that is not positioned as comedy fodder, but is treated like you would treat a world title match. Well, Kenny got his wish because they positioned this match as the main event of that show. It closed out the show and it was treated as seriously as anything else on the card uh, that I saw. And I didn't see the whole show. I saw part of it, but I thought it worked. I thought the two of them put on a hell of a performance. You know, and, and so did uh, Johnny Impact and Rich Swan. I saw that match, but I thought the main event really impressed. I really did. And it was done about as well as I think you could do a match like that. Callahan won, but in the end, had Tessa pulled it out, had she gotten the win, I don't think it would have made the match any less believable. Uh, and you, you guys know from all the Lucha Underground reviews I've done, I'm not a huge fan of the intergender stuff in one-on-one situations. Tag matches I don't mind so much. But to just do like man against woman, one-on-one, especially if you have a guy who's like a big guy, and then you have like a smaller woman, I just, it's too, it really just stretches the bounds of believability to me, and I just can't get into it. it. And it was one of the few things I really didn't care much for in Lucha Underground. I otherwise really love that show. And that was one thing I, I could get into sometimes if it was the right situation. Most of the time, though, it wasn't. But they made this work, and I was into it. I really liked the match. And you know... The way that Charlotte and Sasha in WWE got to headline, and even Becky, got to headline some pay-per-views. Then you have Becky and Ronda, and Charlotte, I guess, also got to headline WrestleMania for the first time. One day, Tessa will be headlining with Charlotte. It's just too natural a match not to happen. And she's very young, so she doesn't have to go to WWE right away. And Charlotte ain't going nowhere anytime soon either, so it doesn't even have to be in the next five years. But believe you me, it's not much of a stretch for me to sit here and say, mark my words, we will one day see a pay-per-view main event in a WWE ring, or some ring, between Charlotte and Tessa Blanchard. It will happen. And it's too natural a matchup not to build up two daughters of two different members of the Four Horsemen. It just sells itself. The original Four Horsemen, mind you. But right now, I would say Impact is very lucky to have her under contract because she is one of the best female stars out there anywhere. Uh, Jordan Grace. Jordan Grace is another one that Impact also has locked down under contract. One person who is not under contract anymore to Impact is Johnny Impact. Uh, The former Johnny Mundo, John Morrison, he is a free agent after his loss to Rich Swan at the pay-per-view. His contract apparently had already expired. He agreed to stay long enough to lose uh, to Swan, which he did on his way out. You know, AEW, I think, would be a great landing spot for him if he wanted to sign with a big promotion and get some face time on a major cable station. Not, <laughs> you know, not not the L. Ray Network and not uh, Pursuit or even Access. You know, there's been rumors of Impact moving to Access. It's not a done deal. Even Access, which has been a great friend to... A lot of different pro wrestling promotions, and they've got some good people working there, but your exposure is going to be limited. That's just the way it is. So for him to get on a network like a TNT would be a big deal. It'd be the biggest exposure he's had since being in WWE. So I think that'd be a great landing spot for him. You know, maybe uh, maybe Johnny Dynamite coming to Wednesday Night Dynamite soon, or probably would call him Johnny Elite, probably would be the name. I just like how you could pretty much adapt it for anything. You know, he could he could be a guest star on Law and Order. They can call him, uh, you know, Johnny Justice or some bullshit like that. Pretty much any television show you could drop him in. I'd love to see the list of names that this guy would get, depending on what TV show he's on. 
so yeah, he could be Johnny Elite if he was to go over there. Or he could always re-sign with Impact, because supposedly the two sides are still talking. So, who knows? Maybe he'll just end up right back where he was. LAX. LAX also said to be gone from Impact after next month. And they have big money offers on the table waiting for them from both WWE and AEW. Now, me, I kind of look at this, and I, you know, as an outside, as an outside, you know, force here, a fan, whatever, I look at this and I say, yeah, they'd be a good fit in AEW. With the Bucks and the Lucha Brothers, who they feuded with at Impact. They've got a lot of familiarity with those guys. They could work with them again, but on a bigger platform. And they have other teams, Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus, SCU, The Best Friends. A lot of good teams for them to work with. And to be part of something new and fresh and exciting. And hopefully this AEW thing just takes off and they could be part of that. The prospect of being part of something new and fresh. So there's a lot of allure, I think, for them to go to AEW. Then again, WWE could use some new tag teams. God knows they could use some new tag teams. Although I would assume they probably would hit NXT first before the main roster. But if they come in for big time money, they're not going to want them, I wouldn't think, staying in NXT for very long. So you would assume they'd end up on Raw or they would end up on SmackDown. What's the best place for them? It's not for me to say. I can give my opinion. They're going to have to make that call. I look at I look at LAX and just their style, their act, everything about them. And I say, of the two, AEW seems like it would be the better fit. But wherever they end up, they're going to make some money. Good for them. They've earned it. Brian says, is it a sad irony? That Cesaro now appears to be in the same gateway role that Chris Hero has on NXT. Cesaro was with Ricochet to get him over and now is being fed to Black. Are the Kings of Wrestling the best tag team that WWE never had? Well, I mean, he hasn't been fed to him yet. He might be by the time you listen to this. But as I'm recording this, the pay-per-view has not happened yet. So let's, let's not put the cart before the horse. Plus, it's only one match. I I wouldn't say he's in the same role that Chris Hero has had in NXT. Uh, But I think here's what I think it shows. I think it shows that they see value in both of them. But it's more to help make other people look good and less so about themselves. And yes, the Kings of Wrestling are one of the best tag teams that WWE could have had. They could have put them back together. And they never did. I was so hoping that once Hero signed and then re-signed with WWE that they would find a way to put these guys together, especially because it became very obvious very quickly that Hero was not going to be used in any kind of prominent position as a singles player. And Cesaro has, over the years, I'd say even the last five or six years, it's been a long time, he's turned into something of a prominent uh, tag team specialist. First with Jack Swagger. Then with Tyson Kidd, and more recently with Sheamus. All turned into very good tag teams. The Real Americans got over there at the end before they broke them up. Cesaro and Kidd were just getting going and building momentum when Kidd got hurt. All those tag teams, and none with Chris Hero. It's it's a shame. Because outside of WWE, they developed the chemistry, they were very entertaining together, and there's no reason to think. It's kind of like the interplay between EC3 and Drake Maverick. When they were working together at Impact, they were very entertaining. 
only now are we really starting to see them do stuff together in WWE, even if it is just on YouTube. They're very entertaining together. There's no reason you can't take an act from one place and put them together somewhere else. I mean, what are they going to do? They're going to sign LAX and bring them in and split them up? No, they're going to bring them in as an act. They're going to bring them in if they sign them as a tag team. There's no reason the Kings of Wrestling couldn't have gotten over as a big team in in WWE. I think that ship has sailed, and it's a shame because I think they could have been... uh, they could have been one of the better tag teams in WWE. Von Bruski writes in. He took my suggestion and started watching the show Dark on Netflix. He says, my wife and I are still on season one, episode six. What a great series. Great writing and great tunes. Can't stop watching. Thanks again for the great suggestion. I'm so happy uh, that you are enjoying that show. That that makes me happy. The fact that you're happy with it makes me happy. It's one of my favorite shows And speaking of my favorite shows, I also finished season three of Stranger Things this week. Fantastic. The best, I think the best of all three seasons so far. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'd have to rewatch the first one. It's definitely better than the second one. But I feel pretty confident saying that I I think it's the best of all three. I'm not going to spoil anything for anybody who hasn't seen it yet, but I really, really love this new season. Uh, Probably no coincidence of these two shows, uh, that one of them is based in the 80s and the other one has time travel in part of it back to the 1980s. And they both have great music. The music on these shows is great. Uh, I can't say enough good things about both. You know, Ozark is another favorite of mine. If you've got a Netflix subscription, that's the Jason Bateman show. Uh, Money Heist is back this Friday, season three, or part three, I guess they're calling it. Uh, That one's in Spanish. You can watch it in Spanish with English subtitles. I just think Netflix is killing it, man. There's a lot of great Netflix stuff out there. Somebody told me I should check out the show Afterlife with Ricky Gervais. Uh, So I may give that a shot next. The sad thing is that I use this as content to keep me busy on my commute to and from work. Because I could be be sitting on a bus for 70, 80, 90 minutes. I need stuff to watch. I can't, you can only listen to the same music and podcasts and stuff so many times. Uh, I mean, how many sound ups can I listen to? So, you know, the thing about it though is that visually these shows, the way they're shot, they look great. And I'm watching absolutely none of them on my big TV at home. I have this 48-inch you know, Samsung flat panel. And I don't watch any of them on the TV. I watch them all on my... How big is the iPhone XS screen? Five inches? Five and a half inches? That's how I watch all these shows. I watch them on the iPhone screen with AirPods in my ears. <laughs> you know, but what the hell are you going to do? 
My brother watches television 99% of the time on that TV. Otherwise, I don't, I'm not even sure why I have one. I probably wouldn't even have one if it wasn't for uh, him watching it all the time. Because I'm never on it. I never have time. Uh, let's see here. Uh, we'll do two more. we got to move on here. Joe, my, and if you couldn't tell, my voice is gone. My voice is shot. So I am, uh, I am struggling here. Joe from Australia, what do you think should be the first match to kick off the first AEW weekly show? I recently saw a picture of Brian Pillman Jr. posing with Jushin Thunder Liger while holding a photograph of Flying Brian and Liger's match at the first WCW Nitro. I thought it would be pretty cool to have Pillman Jr. face Liger on AEW's first show. What do you think of this? Or what do you think should be the opening match on AEW's first television show? Well, I know what it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be anything comedy related. So none of the librarian bullshit. No sunny kiss. None of that. None, none, none of that nonsense. Uh, with, with the funny comedy spots and all that. There's a place for it. But I think the way you open that show is not with a comedy match. It's not with a 20-minute promo, you know, filleting yourselves or filleting the fans. You want to open the show hot. That's what I think you want to do. You want to open that show hot the way that WCW used to open Nitro with a big cruiserweight match. So maybe it's a really big tag team match between two of your best tag teams, right? They are going to be starting the tag team title tournament. Uh, and you can, whatever the opening match is, you can follow that up by having somebody come out and do a promo, you know, talking about or explaining whatever. But I think what people are going to be looking for is a hot open with some pyro and a hot crowd, making a lot of noise, going into a, a, a you know, 15 minute match that's going to have people on the edge of their seat. Even if they don't even know who those people are, you put them out there and just let them loose. Like WCW did. With Pillman and Liger. Pillman Jr. against Liger would be a hell of a match. I have no idea if that's even doable. I think Pillman was in the Casino Royale Battle Royal, if I'm not mistaken, to double or nothing. But he has not been seen since. He has not been on any of these recent AEW shows. I know that he is under contract with MLW. So I don't even know if he would be allowed to be on the AEW TV program. And Liger, same thing. I mean, he's kind of a freelancer he's able to go and do his own stuff within limits you know he is still with new japan he is not retiring until next year i'm not sure if he would be able to do that there is no working relationship right now at all between aew and new japan so if he would need clearance from new japan to do something like that i'm not even sure he would get it so i don't know how realistic it is but i'm with you i think that would be a nice callback and on top of that it wouldn't just be copying something wcw did I think that could be a great match. How cool would it be to see Brian Pillman Jr. against Jushin Thunder Liger, if for no other reason to get to see Liger on TV one last time before you know the uh, the Wrestle Kingdom stuff next year? So if they could find a way to pull it off, I say go ahead and do it. And uh, we'll end with this one here. We have a question from Maurice in the Bronx, and let me just say, John, I know Loose Cannon is listening. I got a great buy or sell from him, but I'm going to save it for next week, if that's okay. Because uh, I want to give that question some time, and I got to think about that some more. And we are almost out of time here, so I will get to your question next week. But Maurice in the Bronx, kind of a non-wrestling question just to throw out there. He goes, we know of your fondness for Hall & Oates, but what other types of music do you consider your favorite other than Bree Mode? Funny guy. Yeah. 
real comedian here, this uh, Maurice. Let's stick you in an MRI machine and put that song on loop 50 times and see how you feel. You won't be cracking jokes about it then. I like all kinds of music. I like all kinds of music. I was going to say except country, but I like this certain country music songs I like too. That's not true. I like all kinds of music. Even 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 that old town road song. I have to say this because I tweeted about this many weeks ago. It was quite the divisive issue. I had only heard that song for the first time. I don't know how because it's been in the top 10 songs or something for like six or seven months now. But I only heard it for the first time a few months ago. And I put out one tweet about how dumb I thought that song was. And boy, did that get a lot of opinion. A lot of divided opinion. Some people who agreed with me. A lot of people who did not. A lot of people who said give it a chance. Listen to the remix. And that's what I did. I listened to the remix version. The one with Billy Ray Cyrus. It's not radically different. But it's a little bit different. And after listening to that song 20 times. I started to get into it. And now I admit. I kind of like it. It's grown on me. I think what you would find is that I have a very weird Spotify library. Because <laughs> I'm a big Spotify fan. I have Spotify Premium. It's it's the only music service I, I pay for. And I have a very weird Spotify library. One second, I could be listening to Meek Mill and Rich the Kid. And then the next song that comes on is the Banana Boat song by Harry Belafonte. <laughs> and I always wanted to recreate the scene from Beetlejuice. If you ever watch Beetlejuice, you know the scene I'm talking about. I always wanted to like recreate that scene, but do it with a bunch of wrestling podcasters at a table. And I just figure it would be impossible to choreograph. But maybe one day. Maybe we'll get a like a skit together one day. One of the greatest scenes, by the way, is that table scene in Beetlejuice in movie history. But you know what I really like? I used to listen to a lot in college. I like techno. I like trance, uh, industrial music. ATB, Paul Oakenfold. I'd, I'd listen to them all the time back then. I had friends who would fly to Europe to go to these EDM festivals. I'm sorry I never went. I'm sure it's a lot of fun being there live. We are counting down the top 10 matches in SummerSlam history and have cracked the top 5 at long last. This week, number 5 in the countdown takes us back a few years to SummerSlam 2016 at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. And what may be the best match in a series of matches that year and into the next between John Cena and AJ Styles. This is already John Cena's third time appearing on this list. And we still have four more matches to go after this. Cena also appeared three times in my list of the top ten greatest title matches in Royal Rumble history. And one of those matches was his match with AJ at the Alamo Dome for the year, uh, or the year after this match took place where he won his 16th world title. I like this match more than that one. And I feel that this is their best singles match together. And I had the great fortune of being in the building for it, and it was an incredible atmosphere. Now, AJ Styles had quite the debut year for himself in WWE in 2016, better than anybody could have expected, considering his past with TNA, which for a time, WWE wasn't even signing anybody whose contracts were expiring with TNA. It was almost like they were poison. They were persona non grata. We're not, we're not taking in 
anybody from TNA, anybody with those initials, anybody with that stain on them. It was like a stain to WWE for whatever reason. Of course, that didn't last long, thankfully, because that, that's how we got Samoa Joe and AJ and a few other people. But think about the year that he had debuting at the Royal Rumble. Big debut at the Royal Rumble. He had a t- formed a tag team for a while with Chris Jericho before there was a turn. They had a match at WrestleMania. He lost, but he had a pretty prominent match at WrestleMania with Chris Jericho, his first WrestleMania. He wrestled Roman Reigns in back-to-back pay-per-view main events for the WWE Championship. There was a heel turn, the formation of the club with Anderson and Gallows, and then a series of matches with John Cena, top star in the company, culminating with him winning his first WWE title in September from Dean Ambrose at Backlash. And that all happened from January, the end of January, until probably the, the early to middle portion of September. That's a pretty damn good debut year, especially for somebody coming in from a company that was, again, poison for WWE. I have no idea why. It all seems so stupid to me now, looking back. It seems stupid to me then, too, not just now. Because there were a lot of talented people in TNA. Whatever you may have thought of the company and their storylines and the the behind-the-scenes nonsense and LOL TNA and all that, it wasn't AJ's fault. It wasn't Joe's fault. It wasn't Eric Young's fault. Bobby Roode. James Storm or any of them. So AJ went heel. And he and Anderson and Gallows were doing the whole beat up John Cena thing for a while. Where they would quite literally go out on TV and they would beat up John Cena. And the people loved it. The people would cheer. So AJ had his first singles match with Cena. Not here on this show. But they had their first singles match in June. At Money in the Bank, a match that had interference by Anderson and Gallows, which led to AJ winning. So he got a big win, but it was tainted, right? He had a little bit of help. Then there was a tag team match that they were on opposite sides for at what I believe was the Battleground pay-per-view in July, and Cena won that match. And so, going into that first match that they had at Money in the Bank, the announcers kept referring to it, they kept referring to it, as a dream match. AJ Styles against John Cena. It's a dream match. A match that you never would have expected would happen. This though. This right here at SummerSlam. This I think is the match more so than the one at Money in the Bank. That lived up to that billing. And and the Money in the Bank match was great too. But this was not. Uh, I would not rank this below that. I would rank this above that. This was the embodiment of what I think you would want and expect from a so-called dream match between these two guys. You had Mauro Ranallo on commentary. I had almost forgotten his entire stint on the main roster. You know, whatever the hell happened there. So he was on commentary for the match. Hot crowd, dueling chance to start. As somebody who was there, I can say, make no mistake, this was a crowd that wanted to see AJ Styles win this match. I don't care how divided when you go back and you listen and you watch... How divided the reaction seems. This was a very pro-AJ Styles and very anti-John Cena crowd. And Styles gave Cena a suplex on the apron, which, in case you forgot, in case you didn't know, is the hardest part of the ring. You know how I know that? Because they kept telling us. Not just on this show, but like all the time. (laughs) Even after all these years, they always see fit to remind us that it's the hardest part of the ring. We had Cena kicking out of a Styles Clash, AJ kicking out of an Attitude Adjustment, spinning Torture Rack Powerbomb by AJ for a two count. 
Springboard 450 by AJ missed the mark. Cena hits a code red, but only for two. Indie wrestling John Cena was always funny to me. You know, sometimes he'd hit something that looked great. He'd do like a big Rana or or some kind of move that you would never expect to see John Cena do. Or that you'd know he was in the ring earlier that day just rehearsing and practicing and hoping to nail it. And sometimes he would, and sometimes it would look great. And then other times he would try something and it would look like total shit. But at least he would try. At least he, he took the whole five moves of doom or six moves of doom uh, in stride. And he tried to add to his arsenal. I, I at least give him credit for trying new things. So there's an STF by Cena, which gets countered. Calf Crusher by AJ is countered. Back into the STF. Tit for tat, back and forth. Tornado DDT off the ropes by Cena for another near fall. Top rope Rana by AJ takes Cena down to the mat. AJ hits the phenomenal forearm, but only gets a two count. Top rope avalanche attitude adjustment by John Cena. Off the middle rope on the inside. Again, only good for a two count. Now, if you are the kind of person who hates finisher spam, you probably do not like this match. Because there was a lot of that here. This match did have a lot of that. But I thought it worked. It worked for me. Because I'm also not a huge fan of that. But in certain situations, if it's not just finisher spam, if they're telling a good story, if there's other you know, moves, if there's other things being done, it's not just spot, 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 then I'm okay with that. It wasn't just finisher spam. They mixed in other things here, but the story was that you had two guys evenly matched, throwing everything they could at each other, and Cena at one point had this very weird look on his face, like he couldn't believe it or he was constipated or something. He didn't know what to do. He didn't know what to do to put this man down. He could not finish AJ Styles no matter what he did. So... Up he went again for the AA. Styles countered into a Styles clash. Crawled onto the apron. Hit the springboard into the phenomenal forearm one more time. And three seconds later, AJ Styles was your winner. AJ Styles. AJ Styles, the TNA guy. Yeah, he was also the New Japan guy. He won the IWGP title. But like Sting was the franchise of WCW for so many years, you could argue that AJ Styles was the same thing for TNA. Some people might say Abyss. You can name a few other people. But to me, AJ Styles, he was the franchise player for TNA in the the way that Sting was for WCW. He was the heart and soul of that company. One of the lasting originals. And to think that Mr. TNA, in his first year in WWE, would pin John Cena clean at SummerSlam was something I never would have predicted. And this is exactly what I tweeted from my seat that night as soon as the match was over. I wrote this in all caps. Amazing. They did the right thing. That's all I said. They did the right thing. That was exactly what was going through my head at that moment. I can't believe they actually did the right thing for a change. It was the correct outcome. There was no fluke. There was no injury. Even even when Cena got beat by Bryan, the other match I had in this countdown, at SummerSlam in 2013, that was a clean win too, but there were people who would disagree with me and say, well, wait a minute, it wasn't exactly clean because Cena had a brace on his arm, which of course he did. He had a fucking injury. But, oh, well, you know, they were playing up the arm injury. He was calling the doctor over. And, of course, you know, Bryan got the win, but it was against the Cena that was only at like 70% or 80%. Shut up. 
clean win is a clean win. You didn't have that here. There was no injury distraction. There was nothing. There was no Anderson and Gallows. This was straight up one-on-one. And AJ beat Cena as clean as anybody could possibly beat this man. And it was the moment. And and he did it as a heel. Which is why I kind of bring this up. Because it's just so unlike what you would see in WWE. It's happened before. Kevin Owens did it. But it's very rare. And it was the moment I think that AJ Styles arrived as a true main event player in WWE. So Cena left his armband in the ring. He walked off looking all depressed and dejected. AJ, he would go on to win the WWE title the very next month from Dean Ambrose and then successfully defend the championship against Ambrose and Cena in the opening match at the No Mercy pay-per-view in October. Yes, they curtain-jerked the pay-per-view for the WWE title because, for those who don't remember, that pay-per-view aired the very same night as the second presidential debate. And they wanted to make sure that people saw that title match and didn't tune out and miss it. And guess what? Styles pinned Cena again. They could have easily had him pin Ambrose since it was a triple threat match, but they didn't. He pinned John Cena. That's when Cena took a few months off. He went to go film his American Grit TV show. Then he came back to pick things up with AJ. And yes, he got his win back. He beat AJ at the Rumble. He won his 16th world title. But this was the match where AJ arrived as a true main event player, a a true headliner in WWE. And you could see the trust that they put in this guy. And when I look back at that first year, I don't know too many people who would have predicted he would have had the kind of success, would have been allowed to have the kind of success that he had. But he showed them, hey, look, I can be a player for you. I think Vince McMahon even made a comment at one point to AJ behind the scenes I wish I would have had you 10 years ago. This guy could have been the Shawn Michaels of WWE of, of the more modern era. The closest thing. Closest thing they would have had to a Shawn Michaels on their roster. Other than Shawn himself, who was... <laughs> I mean, 10 years ago, he was still around. But that's that was Vince McMahon's... That's the best compliment he could have possibly paid to him. Where have you been? I, I wish I would have had you on my roster a decade ago. I think a lot of people feel the same way. Then he would have been spared the whole Claire Lynch fiasco. So that's the countdown for this week. We have four more slots left. We'll do uh, one match each week until we get to SummerSlam Sunday, August 11th. So number four is coming up next week. Uh, Please continue to uh, subscribe to the podcast on YouTube if you've not already done so. There's going to be a lot of content going up there. A live stream tonight for the Extreme Rules pay-per-view once the event is over. Follow me on Twitter. I'll be live tweeting during the show at Solomonster. Oh, I, I wanted to mention this too. Uh, for those of you who were interested, is it good or bad? Should I go see it? I saw Dave Batista in Stuber. I went to go see his movie Stuber. Very funny. Like legitimately laugh out loud funny. I thought it was very entertaining. Uh, and so if you're on the fence about going to see it, I think it's got pretty good reviews overall. Uh, the the fan reviews may be better than the critic reviews. Fuck the critic reviews. Just go see it if you're thinking about it. Uh, it's a very funny movie. And it's very cool to see him, you know, again, having the kind of success that he's been having. Because uh, I think as a comedy actor, he's got some, you know, he's got some some chops. So uh, if you just want 90 minutes or so of mindless fun, uh, go see Stuber. It's pretty good. That's all I got. This is a, a long show. And that doesn't even cover. Think of all the stuff I didn't cover. I didn't get to talk about Evolve. I haven't watched it yet. I still have to go back and watch Evolve before Extreme Rules. 
I have no time to do any of this. And then there's the G1. Oh, a lot of great wrestling. I guess I shouldn't complain. Anyway, I'll see you guys later tonight for Extreme Rules live post show. And then episode 609 of the Solomonster Sounds Off coming up next weekend. I'm going to be at the Ring of Honor show on Saturday night. I am going to the Hammerstein Ballroom. I may be one of the only people there uh, based on all these attendance stories. But I am going to be at Hammerstein on July 20th, this coming Saturday, they're having a TV taping. My first ROH show, well, I guess since MSG, but my first MSG, uh, uh, ROH show, rather, in the Hammerstein in at least a few years. So I, I shall report back on the uh, the attendance and everything else about the show, and we'll uh, have all that next week on 609. Until then, take care, guys. The Salamonster sounds off. Harlem Heat 2000. Techno Team 2000. LOD 2000. WrestleMania 2000. Anything as a rule of thumb with 2000 in the name, you know it sucked. The Salamonster sounds off. Available wherever you hear podcasts, including iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and now Pandora. Want more content? Visit YouTube.com slash The Salamonster for sound off extras and more. And follow The Salamonster on Twitter at Salamonster. Put that cigarette out. Salamonster sounds off.